Hello and welcome to the Min Max Show podcast, a place about games, friends, getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marchiafava. Hello. Janet Garcia. Yo. And her fancy pumpkin Starbucks drink. Please yes. respect it. Also, special guest, JV Gwaltney. Hey, everyone. Returning from the dead. Welcome, Sir JV. I have been dead a long time. <laughs> Literally dead. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the last time you were on the podcast, we talked about, like, it seems like your Twitter feed is just talking about phasmophobia and you and Elise okay. sharing, like, clips of each other screaming. And somehow it's September in the year 2021, and it seems like you're still just playing Phasmophobia all the time. Uh, I mean, I feel like Phasmophobia became sort of our, our pandemic hangout place, yeah. especially when Elise was still in Washington. And we just have like a, a fairly sizable group of friends who play there. So it's like our bar that we go to pretty much more than it's a game at this point. It's a haunted it's, bar. Yeah, it's a very haunted bar. So it's a bar um, where everybody's just focused on grabbing clips of when somebody in the bar screams. And dies. It's and very dies. important. Yeah. Um, yeah. The dying <laughs> is a very important part of the Phasmo experience. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. We'll we'll kind of rekindle our love with you, JV, throughout this episode. We got a lot of community questions in the back half of the All show right. that are very JV-centric, so it should be a good time. But JV, oh, no. this isn't just any old episode of the MinMax show. This is okay. technically Jeffum. You better take a big swig of that drink, buddy. This is technically the hundredth episode oh of our God. podcast. Can you believe it? Isn't that crazy? We did it. That is wild. It includes like a couple, you know, E3 bonus episodes and stuff like that. But Jeff, does it feel like 100 of these? No, it doesn't. And it's that level of insight that keeps people coming back to the MinMax show. Uh, we're going to try and shake things up a little bit here um, by this is just a test let us know what you think but we're thinking there's so many great community questions every single week let's try taking one of them and just sliding them up to the top of the show in something that Janet uh, I think very correctly said oh we should call the community catalyst in our Monday meeting and then I put it to a vote on Twitter and it seems like people are very into the idea of calling it a community kickoff so with your permission, Janet, are you cool calling this opening community question before we dive into the games a community kickoff? I'll allow it. Okay, great. Um, after this, by the way, we're going to be talking about Far Cry 6. We're going to be talking about the Dead Space remake, Wildermyth, 12 Minutes, Jet the Far Shore, Forgotten City, Riders Republic, Splitgate. Leo will be joining us. There's a lot of good game stuff. But to kick it off, for the big first community kickoff question, we have Jimble Shanks who writes in and says, Happy 100th episode! Thank you, Jimble. Uh, he says, I'm quite new, but I firmly believe that the best questions are easier to ask than they are to answer. This question really rocked me. It's one of those that's so basic we have never answered on the show, but he says, my question is, what do you think compels us about video games as a medium? Why do we continue to obsess and research and report on the art of it all? In the end, do you think there'll ever be a rise of a new, more intriguing medium? Once again, happy 100th episode, and I hope you have an excellent week. Thank you, Jim Shanks. It's such a basic one, but yeah, what is so compelling to us about video games as a medium at this point? Why are we obsessed about it? I think I mean, the ease of like adventure and also accomplishment that you can get out of games. Um, I think in, inherently, if you started as a kid, you probably went in more for like, it's a fun thing to do than like, I don't think as a kid, I was like, I really want to beat like eight games this year. Like, I don't think I had those those ideas. But right. at this point, as an adult, it's like, yeah, it's like a fun, quick getaway. You can kind of 
immerse yourself in it and because you're an active participant when you finish it there's always a feeling of accomplishment uh, of having seen it through and, and done it and and been able to have that experience and talk about it with other people so um that's definitely what compels me to it i think that's interesting it's it's life's easiest form of accomplishment compared to you know finishing a tv show it's like i guess that's something but you're not going to like feel like a sense of pride in that whereas hey I spent six hours on this short little game and there's like a little ounce of pride associated with that. I like that idea. Yeah, there, there's like a personal agency to it. I, I think it's the interactivity as opposed to, uh, you know, like strictly storytelling mediums where you're just a passive listener that things are pouring into. Like in a video game, you actually get to go into that world and make choices for yourself. And it kind of taps into... Kind of what larger games offer, and I think Janet was talking about, was it it gives you challenges that you that you wouldn't otherwise. It, it allows you to challenge yourself in ways that you otherwise wouldn't in life. And so that's just so compelling that at a certain point, Jeff, and you're like, well, now to dedicate my full career because I like these little challenges. Is the question like me personally as someone so. who covers Yeah, games? why do we continue to obsess and research and report on the art of it all? I it was like, we as humanity. I think it's a, it's a little of the fusion, like, I the think. SoCal Gas charged me for the gas this month. That's why I continue to play. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think about it a lot. I think about uh, when I was in college at the University of Minnesota and kind of like films, film and media studies was like part of the, part of the major. And, um, and I remember just feeling like, oh, they are so out of the loop. The fact that we're still focusing so much on old TV and on old film, like, and there was just no aspect for studying video games or really even mentioning video games in any of the curriculum. And this is like, you know, 2005 to 2009. I remember just feeling like, oh, this really is the underdog medium. And so I felt like that was kind of my specialty, if you could use so bold of a word in college, was like, okay, I'm going to steer everything towards video games and take all these concepts from the world of film and try and address it to video games, just because it all felt so new and exciting. And like, I think the speed of the medium is something that was really alluring. Like, number one, the underdog aspect. Our parents largely didn't understand it, except for you, JB, because your dad's cool and stuff. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. yeah, but then like just the speed of it, like the fact that there are new concepts especially in that era, but even this to today, like every year, it's like you need to keep up with where video games are moving because no other medium is at the velocity of these. And that's like impossible to look away from. I don't know, JV, where are you at with this stuff? Uh, I mean, to me, I, I think video games are fascinating to me and why I wrote about them as long as I did and was interested, um, you know, on the journalism side and what I gravitated to was something Jeff I'm kind of touched upon about to me it, it's like you get your chance to be the person around the campfire telling the story and there's not that much resistance to that there's so many games that give you the ability to like okay you know here's the setting you are the person at the center of this world or this story and you make choices that like determine how it plays out or like have their own little flavor to them like Dishonored is a great you know, version of that, like your choices, the choices that you make every step of the way determine how, how that world shifts and how the players in it shift. Um, and you get to define who Corvo is as a person by your actions and what you choose to invest in both in like investigating 
uh, you know, sort of the environment, both in like the NPCs you talk to, like how wrapped up you get into their story. So is he like really empathetic and concerned about the people of Dunwall or is he just like zeroed in focused on whatever his mission is, whether it's revenge or putting Emily back on the throne, that sort of stuff. So I really like games ability to offer everyone that ability to become this sort of like storyteller in a small way. Uh, I think that's what I'm most interested in, and that's what I usually kind of tried to write about with, like, the virtual life and stuff, it feels like, was, like, how does this put you in the driver's seat? What does it mean when games put you in the driver's seat? You know, what does that do for you as a person? Right. Um, so that's that's kind of my interest in them, and that hasn't really changed in, like, the past 20 years or so, it feels like. Yeah, it's weird. You think we get sick of talking about these things at some point, but it's pretty yeah. remarkable. Like, Janet, do you ever have the burnout of, you don't want to talk about these things anymore? No, just because there's so much left to do. Yeah. You know, I think certainly for myself, like I, you know, started as it, a hobby, you know, it's something I did for fun. And then once I fell into the actual like act of writing about games, I'm like, oh, man, like I got to go back and like play all these like different franchises and fill like these gaps or learn about so many genres and styles and verticals like there are genres like i have no understanding of and i've never touched that i like want to dig into and everyone has like uh, you know jv like you mentioned different specialties or things that they might feel passionate or write or stream so i just feel like it's it is endless content which is a little horrifying yeah. <laughs> like i'll never really be done i don't think i'll ever be satisfied with it with that progress but i i kind of like having something like that where i can feel like I'm making progress and growth as a critic and a, and a player, but also knowing that there's so much left to explore is really exciting to me. Yeah. And like 100%. On, the, on the flip side too, I, what it, I love about the industry and the, and the medium is like the idea that, yeah, there's so much to cover yet. We have the best chance of understanding this medium compared to anything else, you know, like, all right, I was already, I had that interest. And the fact that it's so young as an overall medium, like it gives me that opportunity to be like, I might be able to wrap my head around largely an entire field of entertainment which is pretty rare like you're jumping in you know born in 1987 it's like okay try and have all of the history of film enveloped in your head pretty tough but with video games it's like i think i can do it if i keep paying attention for the rest of my life i can kind of be like in the arena of an expert on a medium which is pretty rare yeah and i think the timetable upon which games are like you know evolving is much different than how film did uh, and how literature did. So a thing that I've been trying to be conscious about lately in terms of like, you know, how quickly fads and like revolutions happen in the game space, like they're pretty quick. You know, you don't have to wait decades for them to happen. What happened in like two to five years. So a thing I try to be aware about is I don't want to be the old grumpy critic or like the old grumpy games person who's like, I don't get it. So it sucks. Right. And sometimes that's a real struggle. Uh, but it's also really kind of neat to like deal with that. I think for the first time in my life to be like the, the, the old on the porch who's like grumpy about the kids on the lawn or whatever, because the stuff about like the metaverse and like Fortnite, like that sort of stuff kind of like, bothers me because there's no boundaries separating, you know, intellectual properties or stories or whatever. But again, the kind of appeal of those things to, to throw all those things in a blender. So, you know, that's an example of me trying to like grapple with that and understand it and like, you know, um, put aside whatever sort of like assumptions that I have about it and grow to appreciate it for what it is, even though it's not my thing. Like I look forward to those kind of challenges as well in this space and they happen all the time. 
yeah. um, you know, as there are new things on the horizon. Yeah, we're all going to feel old on basically a weekly basis at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, hey, we should jump into some actual games here. Uh, first of all, No More Heroes 3 on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, we could not not have Suriel Vasquez talking about No More Heroes 3 because he's, as far as I know, uh, the number one fan of Suda51 uh, on the planet. Uh, his favorite game of all time is Killer7. And so we recorded a Patreon-exclusive podcast with Suriel Vasquez. It was Kyle Hilliard and uh, Suriel Vasquez talking all about Norma Heroes 3. Basically the big review discussion. So if you want to hear Suriel just let it rip explaining why he's so passionate about Suda's work, the history there, Grasshopper, uh, and his exact thoughts on No More Heroes 3 and why it's so interesting. Uh, you can head on over to Patreon. We'd appreciate the support. You can unlock the podcast version of that and the podcast version of a bunch of other stuff. Um, All seven hours of it. <laughs> yeah, you would not stop, but it was fun. Uh, yeah, I feel like Suriel is the person you want to know, like the takeaway for like No More Heroes 3, right? Totally. Yeah. He, like he's the guy like I want to know what he knows more than necessarily anyone else. Right. Uh, just of, because he's so invested in that fran or in that franchise, but is also capable of being super critical about it when it sucks. So like I really want to hear his takeaway. Yeah, for most people it's like, oh, Travis Strikes Again that came out a couple years ago on the Switch. All right, whatever. But he's like, okay, here are the beats by beats which levels succeed in Travis Strikes Again and which ones don't. So please check that out. Anyway, in this essay, I will. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Janet, uh, Far Cry Six is a game yes. that's coming out soon, and uh, you shock the world. Uh, mainly just us in the Monday meeting when you said, oh yeah, I got to play a lot of that. It's like a huge preview beat that you got to check out, right? Yeah. So it was how long of the game did you get to play? I believe it was four or five hours. At first, I'm like, this is four hours. And everyone's like, with my five hours. So I was like, oh, shoot, I guess what's five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did five hours, like five hours. Uh, the first, like, maybe three were just uh, three or four were like single player. And then we got to spend some time with the um, two player co-op. Um, and I also we started at the beginning of the game. But then at a certain point in my like single player playthrough, they jumped me toward like the middle point just to kind of see like okay here are like the kind of weapons you can have and here's when you already like have access to like planes and your wingsuit and all those kind of elements mm -hmm. but um yeah uh what'd you think i liked it I, I i left cautiously optimistic um admittedly i you know this is my first far cry game which is always weird when you like enter a franchise through a preview it's like this is this is interesting yeah. um but you know from the outside looking in i always saw far cry as like okay it's crazy over the top it's really explosive it might be kind of washed at this point is sort of the word on the street in the kind of far cry community yeah so it's it definitely struck me as a franchise it's also kind of in need of a win, but that's sort of um, playing with highly charged subject matter. Uh, so it's like, all right, let's go into this. Uh, so, so I went in a little bit wary, but honestly, I, I left feeling better about it than I did when I started because I had a lot of fun with it. I really like the melee combat in the game. Um, it is very gruesome, which is not new to the franchise, but it was kind of... Uh, some, like when I took my like machete and like ran it through like a body in first person and then you like the, it's like it's like a lot it's it's a lot.com a little bit but if you're into that kind of thing you know I, I sort of in my preview described it as Far Cry 6 is for the people that you know chant and cheer when the the, the machine gun uh, scene comes out in Scarface like if you're mm. into the gore and the spectacle you're in for a treat if you maybe are not that into that you might it might not be a game for you, but I really enjoyed that element of it. And I found that culturally, like it did all right. Like, I yeah. think there were a few, a few flubs here and there, and there were some things that give me pause, but it didn't feel like 
oh, this is super inappropriate or super like mocking of like a culture or like play, leaning too heavy into stereotypes, certainly of things like that. But overall, I'm like, oh, this is like a really interesting and could be a powerful story depending on how they uh, handle it. And I thought Giancarlo Esposito, you know, did great acting wise. I didn't see that many cutscenes with him, but, um, you know, it's a he's Gus from Breaking Bad, basically. He, and he I think he played that it. role well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's a whole thing. Is this one takes place in Yara, which is basically Cuba, and there's a whole revolution going on down there. But I am fascinated by that idea of for every other preview that I saw, everyone's like, it's more Far Cry. You get the idea. But I went and watched the gameplay, and it's like, yeah, it's more Far Cry, but like there's a lot of very good ingredients in this pie. Like, so I just I cannot wrap my mind around the idea of like coming in cold to a new Far Cry and being like, all the stuff you can do, this seems awesome, this seems silly, this seems like so much fun. But just that matter of perspective is night and day. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I talked to some people that have had experience with the franchise, which it's always kind of fun, too, to have that opportunity as well. Like, sometimes I do see it as a bit of a strength if you can enter without having the background. because oh, yeah. I don't have any of the same, like, baggage or expectation. I'm just looking for, like, a good game. So, you know, seeing things like or, or talking to people after the fact about how you can, like, bribe double agents to get, like, the cash locations and that being, like, a subtle way they sort of changed up distributing that kind of mechanic and then you know looking into like how is the you know open world and it's pretty easy to just kind of travel around and and not be bothered which i know in the past maybe it was a little bit harder to like get around undetected or kind of explore freely sure um but yeah i had i had a good time with it and i really liked um the pet companions you have like they start you off with um an alligator named wapple and like i i freaking love that alligator man that alligator is like so down and so good at like attacking people it 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 was it was a fun kind of tool set that you were given i think to play with and i think the um areas and encampments are really like well designed in terms of giving you variety to take on a challenge you know a lot of conveniently placed turrets some zip lines some different they know like, what they're doing areas to scout out um yeah it's you know it definitely favors i think going in loud because it's far cry and that's a little right. bit more fun but um yeah i had a good time with that overall that's crazy like jeff where's your hype level at for far cry do you think um, well, I appreciate hearing that exactly that kind of perspective of a new person going in because I, I do feel so jaded at this point with Far Cry games because I've played so many of them. And but it but that is something that's always in the back of my mind of like these I mean, like these games, they have all those elements. They are, you know, executing them well, but it's just I've done it so many times that I don't get super excited beforehand going into it. Right. But I'm sure if I play it, I'm sure I'll, you know find plenty of fun from it yeah like i was watching the gameplay and just thinking like what if i just played through this entire campaign co-op with a friend like that's something that i've never done with far cry and the fact that the last couple have had like okay you can actually play the full campaign with jump in jump out co-op like that could be an absurdly fun time like one of the best just most silly open world experiences of the year but because far cry's been around for a while it's like eh, do i really want to have that much fun i've done it before but it's like i think that's a good opportunity for jumping in fresh and kind of making it seem alive but jv where are you at with far cry 6 man i'll play it yeah when it comes out but i am that jaded person oh good uh just because i think five really let me down um because i fell for the marketing push and i know cork and i talked about it and maybe jeff them too when the game came out but it felt like they promised something that they never even tried to deliver on as opposed to like, oh, they wanted to do this and then they never got around to it. Or, right. Or, it felt really deceptive to me. And I wrote about that. And so like from that 
perspective, I feel a little jaded. Um, but like, if this game's just more of the crazy fun that was in three and four, I'm all for it because my favorite one's actually four. And I just remember stuff like riding the elephant with like a ridiculous machine gun mowing down folks. Uh, it sounds bad when I put it like that, but you know, if it's, if <laughs> yeah, it's more been that, there, like, if I can sick my alligator on people, if I can just go around and, you know, like a Miami vice kind of boat and just shoot it enemies on the shore with a ridiculous gun, like I'm, I'm for it. And obviously like, you know, uh, Giancarlo, I love Gus Fring. Uh, I actually went back through Breaking Bad recently. So, you know, I'm I'm all about that. So I'm I'll play it. I just have very low expectations, but that's not a bad thing. You know, that that will probably serve me more in the end. Well, you missed it. They had a message. They said that this game is political now, JB, compared to the other ones that weren't political. So now it's going to be everything you want for your for your big narrative yeah, teeth. We, we'll see. OK, it's all <laughs> super. Have... it's all supervised. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think admittedly. Games like this struggle to get past the ceiling that I think they sometimes have because they are so formulaic and it's very like, oh, you take out this, um, you know, outpost and now it's like a fast travel point and you also get like these other things like they they do have a lot of those elements and you can kind of see like all the wirings behind it. So I do think that part can, you know, wear a little thin. And I think, you know, my big takeaway from my time with it is I think if there's a, a fault here is just that it's a little bit like basic, right? Like right. things like. Pick, you can pick up, you know, enemy bodies, which you can do in a million other games. But I'm like, OK, I don't really see like any like cool way I can hide them, which you can also do in a million other games. But like a little stuff like that, I think, could have gone a long way to just kind of you really like need those additional tweaks. Um, one of the big things that stood out to me was the emphasis on like gear instead of like player stats. So you can like mix and match your gear, like have one have uh, the perks and then have like another one for the cosmetics. So you can kind of combine those as you want. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about like th th that re reliance on cosmetics. Even it seems wild because they're focusing on like, okay, you play as Danny, the main character, you can choose the gender of, of Danny. And then uh, you're actually seeing them like in cutscenes, which is new for Far Cry. So like trying to emphasize the personality to that extent of, oh, I actually get to look at my character in cutscenes now. That's at least a shakeup for Far Cry. We got, we got a new level of attachment here, including caring about gear and all that stuff. Yeah, and they, um, I didn't actually mention this too much in my preview because it was really not that significant, but I know people were asking about like the third person element. And right, it's, right. It's basically just when you go to like your kind of camp base, like later in the game it goes third person for those parts and then you when you walk out it goes into first and i don't really know why i guess they just wanted you to be able to see yourself a little bit totally, more but it really it, yeah. isn't like it's it's not like why can't i drive in third person which like that's very needed <laughs> or like you know and there are a few small gripes and nitpicks i have like you know traversing on a on a horse like it feels better than the car but it's still like the animation, I'm like, I'm not a big fan, but, you sure. know, it kind of is just a means to, like, get around for me. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But Far Cry 6 coming out October 7th. So oh, wow. I'm very that's curious. Soon. I know. Everything is soon, JV. We are yeah. we are in oh, it. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Working in the PR world. It's been a lot for you recently. Yeah, there's a lot of looking at calendars and sweating. Oh, good. In PR, yeah. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, uh, real quick, they didn't reveal too much, but they had a really interesting uh, stream recently showing off where they're at with the Dead Space remake. So this is a studio that made Star Wars Squadrons from EA, EA Motive. Um, they also made Battlefront 2. Um, but 
it feels like not that long ago they revealed that they were actually doing a remake of the first Dead Space, and then they just had this stream, which was very non-EA-like, but very welcome, where it was just developers talking about their plans for the remake, and then they just showed off basically gray box environments, showing off like, okay, here's the damage we can do to Necromorphs, here's how we're changing this, here's how we're changing this, and just having a big warning of like, please take everything with a grain of salt, this is super, super early. But they were showing Isaac Clark like walking around the Ishimura. It's crazy to see that level of transparency from EA, especially from EA Moda, which is a studio that was formed with Jade Raymond to create new IP, and they were working on Project Atlas, I think the name of it was, uh, which is going to be this open world physics-y thing, and they're working on it in secret for... I mean, since their founding, so like an eight-year project or something. So I'm sure that team was just so eager to get some more work of theirs out into the world. But Jeff, did you see any headlines or anything about this Dead Space remake stream? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Imran Khan said that it was too bright. Uh, We all saw that famous tweet. Which it's okay. like everything with that grain of salt. Like you can't you can't judge it at this point. It is so so early, but it looks good. I'm I'm just really impressed by the idea of like, and I wish more developers would do it of showing games off this early in development because I feel like one of the really coolest experiences we had on the Game Informer trips, Ben, was when we went and we saw the Call of Duty Battle Royale. Uh, oh yeah, several months before it launched. And Blackout. it's not that it was rough. It was very impressive for where it was. But in terms of like, you know, a Call of Duty comes out and it's one of the most polished games on the market. Like within the context of that, it was super rough. They had gray yeah. box stuff everywhere. We were running through gray box environments. They didn't have animations for everything. And so when that game came out, I had a deeper appreciation for like how it had come along and how it had come together. So I wish there was more videos and features coming from studios themselves focusing on like, you know, hey, here's this game. To, you know, it'll be a thing two years from now, hopefully. But this is where it at, where it's at right now. This is how much this is the starting point. It's an absurd amount of work because I feel like that does such a good job of communicating to people who are normally unappreciative of like the work that goes into games. Like if you can literally show them how much work, I I feel like that might help with a certain element of toxicity, you know, the, of the entitled kind of toxicity, not the awful, like racism, bigotry toxicity, but just the like, well, you know, it's so easy to code this. Why don't they just add this feature within a week or whatever? Why don't they hit a button? You know, that sort of thing. Um, So I wish, I hope we see more of that because that's really cool. I hope so too. And I hope I don't scare developers or publishers away from doing more of that but i always just think of the best example the most transparent game ever made which is broken age from double fine with their whole documentary series which is incredible jeff um you should really watch that documentary series by right the way. right yeah okay write it down please just a post-it note on your monitor i'd appreciate it but anyways like the crazy thing about that is at the end of that entire journey i feel like even in the documentary itself tim schaefer talks about it and also in additional interviews they talked about like yeah being that transparent and trying to deal with an angry crowd online we were just handing them the weapons to beat us with they now knew exactly like oh this project messed up because this person made this call here and this is where you mess it up and you're a lazy dev because there's a shot of you at the bar in this episode and so it's like god you really can't win either way but they're trying and i love seeing ea try and the message here is like hey we're rounding up the community council and we have like a team of 
experts from the community that we're consulting every decision with just to try and stay on the positive end of this social wave. Yeah, and and I think the the difference there is that like from from everything that you said about this broken age documentary that I need to watch but haven't it's yet. Necessary like viewing, that yeah. kind of behind the scenes, I don't know that EA is going to be like, well, here's so and so making the decision about totally. necromorph heads not coming off, you know, like but just just kind of showing a little bit of that of the progress and the process of developing not necessarily like from a documentary standpoint, but just the amount of amount of work that goes into it. And I think it also, it will help kind of get feedback coming in earlier in the design process when they can actually maybe react to some of it, like having Imran say, Hey, it's too bright. If, if that was <laughs> like a, stop a, saying a, that. a weird thing that people you really like, change the world with that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's better getting that kind of thing early because I think EA has had plenty of instances where a game will come out and then it will just get trashed by everyone because they did make a decision much earlier in the process or they, they come out with a beta, you know, that's a beta that comes out a week before the game comes right, out right. and everyone starts complaining about it. Like maybe they can actually get some kind of idea from the fan base of what of what they want from this game of where they may you know like there may be disagreement from the community about where they're going and hopefully they can actually add some of that or yeah or have that influence things well here's yeah yeah i think it's mostly a matter of like how you frame the behind the scenes and what content you offer like obviously you you would not want to show devs in bars or whatever because of, you know, what Tim said. Sure. Uh, but like, you know, treating it more like Kickstarter updates almost, I feel like would be yeah. the way to go of like, Hey, you know, here's the new enemy, you, you know, here's the new version of that necromorph. You really like, here's the process we took in creating him sort of thing, like yeah. that sort of stuff. I think you can present that in a smart, educated way without putting any of your devs by name in danger uh, of harassment. Like there are ways to go about it, but I think there's a good middle line to walk. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. And, yeah, and uh, EA is not going to be bringing in an independent film crew to, you know, record their development of dead space and put that out. I'm sure they're, they're going to be mindful of what they're actually showing and trying to show it in the best light. Which yeah. Hopefully. You know, well, they, they showed it in too much light, according to this Imran Khan tweet. It's taking <laughs> over the world. Apparently. Uh, but hey, if I, as somebody who just played through Dead Space 1 for the deepest dive, you can check it out on Minmax's YouTube channel or unlock the podcast version by supporting us on Patreon. It's a very uh, fun, thorough discussion about that first game. But if I may offer a little feedback, there's too much fog on the ground. It's a spaceship. It's Ishimura. Like, especially for the environments they showed, they even had, like, side-by-sides, and it's just, like, this fog over the ground. It's like, it's just a ship. You can have some fog in certain areas. I understand that, but it's it's a bit much in this very, very early footage, so I will take back all criticism until I see the final thing. But I'll see. That's what they needed to hear first. Hopefully that was polite <laughs> enough. But, okay, actual takeaways here. Um, big thing is they're reworking Zero-G, uh, so it's no longer... In the first one, it was, like... You just kind of pointed a direction and went, bah, no, 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 and like launched yourself that direction and wherever you landed, you landed. They're taking what they did for Dead Space 2 where you have like direct control flying around the Ishimura, but they're keeping some of like the level design or most of the level design, it seems like basically the same. So they're saying having that ability to actually fly around in the zero G environments kind of changes the way you're navigating and unlocking spaces around here. So it shook things up more than you would expect. Um, they also said, oh, JV, you're thinking. I'm thinking. Oh, your mouth kept moving. I thought you were ready to jump in. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. You just If you could just hold your mouth shut throughout most of the podcast. Okay, great. 
Um, but they also said that with the necromorphs, uh, that it's no longer just like shoot them in the leg twice and the leg comes off. You have to shoot them once in a limb and then it shows like battle damage. You can see their freaky skeleton and then you have to shoot them in that exact same spot again and actually hit the skeleton for the limb to come off. So it's like small little gameplay tweaks like that. They also said that they're bringing back the voice actor Gunnar Wright, uh, who is the voice of Isaac in 2 and 3, and that Isaac will talk in Dead Space 1 now. But they are very specific. He will only talk when spoken to. He's not going to talk while he's running around the ship on his own. Okay. Which is like, that seems like a good middle ground. Yeah, I think that's the way compromise. to go. Yeah. Um, and also they said that there's going to be more of him on a quest for Nicole instead of Nicole just being like this larger narrative thing of like, Oh, I've got to go find my girlfriend. Um, now it's going to be, he's going to be uncovering pieces of their backstory and stuff as they're journeying along, which they're kind of like flashes of in the first one, but kind of expanding on that. So it seems like they're moving in the right direction. So hats off to that team. Um, JV, do you remember at the start of the show, when you're talking about the power of decisions and games and how you love uh, player stories unfolding, mm-hmm. it made me think of this little game called Wildermyth. Oh, I've heard of that game. Yeah, we've talked about it a couple times briefly uh, on this podcast, but Wildermyth, PC only game right now that uh, I believe I just saw you tweeting about falling head over heels in love with this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, JV, how would you describe Wildermyth? I, I tried talking about it a while ago, and it's kind of a tough one to explain. I, I honestly, Mike Mahardy either described it as this or he referenced someone describing it as this. And I think it's the best way to present it is it's XCOM meets Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, yeah. So basically, it's not one huge story. You load up the game and there are several campaigns you can choose, like a D&D campaign. And every uh, game, every campaign that you start, you create three heroes. Or, you know, if you've played other campaigns before, you can pull heroes from a previous campaign that you've created. Um, and so you go on adventures with them and you fight monsters against various threats. Again, there's no overarching threat. Like each each campaign has like a faction as an enemy and they're like threatening the land and you beat them. Uh, but each campaign has chapters. So, you know. You have this huge overmap where you go on adventures with uh, your party members. And I think it's up to five or six that you can have. Um, And so as you go around the map, like fighting enemies to try and clear the map of enemies before going to the final battle, you'll have random events happen. Like, for example, um, I came across one of my uh, my wizard came or mystic, as they're called in the game, came across a statue with a gemstone in it that he really wanted. And I had a choice. I could take that gemstone or I could leave it be. And I tried to take it. And so it ejected out of the statue into his eye socket and became part of him. And over the campaign, it started to transform his body and bestow powers upon him while taking other things away. Like he'd lose speed, but he'd get this new ability to, um, I, what is it? This might not, this might be incorrect for this specific one, but sure. like, you know, like, uh, there's another one where if you dip your hand in like a, a pit of fire, you come out with like a fire hand and you can cast fire spells and stuff. Um, but the 
key point is the longer you progress with your characters in that campaign and across campaigns, you'll have the choice to advance the transformation. So it's sort of like a Pokemon evolution sort of thing of like, ooh, do I want this character to become, you know, more like this elephant, you know, this this element? You know, do they become completely fire at one point? Yeah. Like I had a warrior who made a pact with uh, crows like a faction of crows. And at this point across three campaigns, she just become this giant crow that wields a sword and wears armor. So good. We love death store. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But you know, it's basically a very bite sized D and D campaign with super satisfying XCOM combat um, and decision making. And it really feels like, I think a good point of comparison, air emblem, actually, if you Mm, go back to fire emblem awakening, and Fire Emblem Fates, uh, you know, you get all these this huge cast of characters that you can bond with, and um, there's a lot of decision making when it comes down to like who they take on as romantic partners. And the thing with that sort of game is you can rig it, right? Like, okay, well, to get the outcome that I want, I'll have character A spend a lot of time with character B, get them gifts, always have them fighting in battle, so you get the desired outcome. The thing about Wildermyth that I really like and I wish that more narrative-driven games would do is is that it has this element of unpredictability about it. I can't choose which of my characters will fall in love, which ones will develop uh, rival relationships. I can't do that stuff. It's just up to random things. So, you know, like, oh, my crow lady and my fire wizard might fall in love and they might have a kid. And then that kid, you know, once these characters retire, which can happen, they can retire, they can die in combat. Uh, the kid will take over. Um, and it's just, there's so much going on there. There's so many movable parts that you can have fun with as a storyteller, but it doesn't give you full control. So it's still a surprise, like eight or nine campaigns in, you know, it's just so much ridiculous fun and yeah. it's so creative. And it's, it's not overwhelming, you know, cause one of the things um, that I don't like about Fire Emblem, and I love Fire Emblem, I really love Fire Emblem, is those battles are huge, and they can go on for like an hour, especially towards the the end game. All the battles, nearly every single battle I've had in Wildermyth, again, to jump, go back to the Fellowship of the Ring, when they're fighting the troll in Moria, like, it's that size of a battle. Like Set you're the in a clock, room. it's exactly the same. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you're you're in a room, you're fighting, like, a bunch of enemies, and then it's over in, like, 10, 15 minutes. But still, you know, like, you have it's that... It's very respectful of your time, and I really appreciate that. Sorry, totally. Dad, I didn't no, interrupt no, you. that's fine. It still has those moments, though, of, like, make-or-break moments in the, in the battle. It reminds me of, like, playing... You can kind of play XCOM Iron Man mode, where you can turn that on and not go back, which is absolutely the way that I play, because I love having consequences. And so having the idea of this procedural narrative as you're going through the larger story, where you're making choices that will really, really matter, having each turn in the combat really matter as well. You know, like, I had two characters in this campaign last night, and uh, they were intense rivals oh going back to childhood they always were in this fierce competition and then one of them just in combat i made a stupid move and then he was on death's door i know i just mentioned that earlier but really on death's door and then you have the option of like you can have this guy go out and do 12 points of damage as this big heroic finish as he dies or just kind of fade away and maybe you can revive him later on and something it's like no this is my story actually i'm going with he is going to go out in this hail of glory as his friends like no don't do it and he just kills some you know random wolf or whatever and just actually killed him there but like it just adds so much to it then because then the third person in my party was the lover 
of the guy who survived and they're like trying to have this uncomfortable conversation where she's trying to bring up what happened and he doesn't want to talk about it and then you can go out of your way to actually build a shrine to the person that died and then strangely enough jv this makes it seem like there's only so many of these events but i is the first time i've heard of a, another one repeating but then like the next thing that happened is the guy's lover was exploring in the forest and found that weird gem thing and then got like a gem lodged in her eyes i'm like oh this guy this poor guy like his only person left his beautiful girlfriend now is half stone at this point from this crazy stuff happening mm -hmm. jay or jeff did you check this thing out yet i did Hansen. oh good it, it, it may be the best recommendation you've ever given me. yeah unlike that unlike that broken age documentary business <laughs> which i'm never gonna <laughs> How dare uh, but you. but no, and and I think if if we haven't made it clear, like there, the thing that's really interesting about it is this emphasis on the storytelling of it to the point where it's it kind of has like a fairy tale aesthetic, you know, like a right. 2D hand drawn aesthetic, and then every every event that happens in every kind of land when you go into a new land, you you kind of you'll fight a battle there to kind of take over that area. But everyone has a has a story element to it and it will tell you the author of that story, even though they're all like ninety percent of them are bad the same person. But it really kind of walks you through there there's like narration to each one. It has kind of a comic book look to it. And it they spend so much time on kind of describing locations that you're in like e even little things of like how the breeze is blowing in and like the, those kind of you know like traditional storytelling elements i found have have made such a big impact on me in terms of like building up this sense of a grand adventure like i play so many open world games where it's supposed to be this big adventure but 90 yeah. percent of the time it's me just walking around in silence you know like picking mushrooms in a forest or whatever and they're there's it doesn't feel like I'm building to an adventure and here like each each step of the way after you know a small encounter with you know some wolves or whatever like you said there there's a real storytelling element to it and and kind of describing what the characters are going through you get you get like you get to hear their thoughts of things that they're thinking about which you don't usually get in video games and it it, it does a great job of kind of of making you feel like you're having this unique unique adventure with unique characters going through it yeah, and it's like a weird lesson in just they could be randomly generated characters, but the fact that you are making all of their choices and there are such big swings here and you're so fully in control, you become so much more invested in these characters than anybody else. You're projecting your own stories as these little stories are branching out. Yeah, I'm more invested, honestly, in like four or five of these party members than I have been in any of the characters I've played in like any other game. Yeah, this year just yeah. because like it's so cool like for example i had this rogue lady that i started out with and in the first uh the first battle i made a horrible decision and she got maimed and lost her right eye and took like a negative 20 hit to accuracy and because she's so like bow focused i was like damn that's she's she's not gonna be able to help that you much put her down what you put her down no, no, she got maimed. So, I like, know, I know, but I'm it. trying to guess where this oh, is going, oh, JB. Oh, gotcha. No, no, I did not put her down. Okay. Uh, what happened was, is that she came back stronger than ever. She got a shield. She got a shield in the next battle and a cross, uh, a crossbow. And she just, she became the strongest player or the strongest party member just out of pure spite. Like she just <laughs> dominated everyone. It was so satisfying. It's just stuff like that. Like 
you can it's there's so many building blocks that you can mess around with but also i really really like that the game has the confidence to take away the ability certain abilities from you yeah you know, like the ability to choose who to fall in love with or you know um which events are going to happen to you like that is such like just so much confidence in that and it pays out so well here in in ways that it doesn't necessarily play out so well in other similar sort of like story procedurally generated games like um not to pick on this game because i ultimately like it a fair amount but uh, i think it's road 96 right right um i think that's a very bold experiment i don't think it kind of holds together nearly as well as wildermyth does because they both try to do a lot of the same things in terms of like okay here's your own adventure and it's you know generated they're trying to find like a very they're trying to find the sweet spot between like algorithm guided storytelling and like explicit author guided storytelling along with player choices and i don't think that works out nearly as well but here everything just sings you know it's just such a good game it's my favorite game of the year year oh wow oh that's awesome to hear yeah yeah it's just it comes down to like you know if you like PC gaming with a controller if you want to play it that way. But if you like uh, playing games on your PC and you're a dork, you should just buy this game. It's like one yeah. of those games where if I play. If you're a dork, like, you should buy Wildermouth. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like this is everything that's good and dorky in the world. Like the idea of, okay, you get this weapon, you get to name this weapon, then you're going to follow this weapon through the eras. And then as this character dies, you can pass it along. Like just think everything dorky about the world is packed into this game. It's yeah, very and, satisfying. And they do a good job where every, like, every piece of armor or whatever that you get, they, they just put it on your character and then it's, you can see it in all of the different, you know, like yeah. storyboard pictures as you're going through the stories. And yeah. and they they add enough kind of buffs and abilities and things and the fact that you can name like pretty much every piece that you get gives you a sense of ownership and it makes it feel more important than say, you know, playing Destiny or Diablo where it's like, oh, this is my 90th cowl. And I don't give a crap about it. But here, if you if you get like a new suit of armor or something, it really matters because yeah. it, it 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 has a big gameplay ramifications. But then your character also looks different and it kind of it's helping build up that person's legacy in that adventure. Yeah, it's a, it's super good about putting the consequences of your choices in front of you. Whether it's like, oh, I gave this armor or this sword to this person and now they're gonna carry it, but also like the transformation aspect or like you know, if they get maimed in battle, like one of my mystics uh, lost an arm and he had a prosthetic hook for half the campaign. And so, you know, whenever you see that, you're like, oh, yeah, that was a consequence of a choice that I made. Um, so it's just it's really good. It's yeah. really good about just constantly reminding you of that in subtle ways that I don't think most choice driven games are necessarily like even Mass Effect 2, which is my favorite game of all time, you know. It, it doesn't necessarily display the consequences of your choices all the time, except for big moments, which is fine and good because it's, you know, a, a space opera. But what I like about Wildermyth is you're constantly reminded of your choices, big and small, within literally every frame of the game. Uh, and that's just I think that's a really hard thing to do. And yeah. it's just impressive. For sure. Wildermyth. It's called, it's on PC only right now. Um, I know I mentioned this before, but the developers have said that, ah, a console port's going to be tough because it's in like this custom engine that's based on Java. And so possible, but very tricky was I think their last official message. But I think it's doing well enough. Hopefully they can pay to brute force its way through because it would be a great game on Switch along with every yeah. other tactics game, you know? 
but Wildermyth, check it out, everybody. Um, okay. There's this game that's called 12 Minutes that came out a while ago. Um, and people were very much looking forward to this. And then it came out and everyone said, what in God's name is happening with 12 Minutes? Uh, without spoilers, because I think people were shocked about where it goes. I don't know. J- Jeff, did you play 12 Minutes? I did. Oh. I, I got all the endings that you could ever want. Wow, really? And, and did you more. actually? Yeah. There's, there's, not, there's not that many of them, um, but it's... Yeah, and they and they they do do a good job of like, you do one and then you go back into the next loop and you can kind of get to the next one after that. Okay. Um, so it it doesn't it doesn't it's not as impressive. Pro gamer as it over sounds, here. But, yeah. yeah. Well, how about this? What about this for a little thought experiment? How about everybody that's played it? Um, conv- your favorite minute. Yeah. <laughs> no. How would you convey your tone on the game, your your reception of the game, based on the pitch of your voice? So give like a uh like where you're at for the three of you, and we can see if we can figure out where everybody's at. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Uh. <laughs> okay, Jamie was the only one who I came through like this. I feel like we were like in sync, but also it's because I can't <laughs> understand pitch. Uh, okay, so everybody's a little bit down on this. It's a really great idea of a character stuck in a time loop. Uh, it resets every twelve minutes. Uh, you're trying to protect your wife. Uh. Basically, in the opening, your wife is murdered, and then, all right, you have 12 minutes stuck in a time loop, fix it. And then everything else falls apart, or what's the takeaway? I was looking forward to this um, for a long time, and this is like, going to be, an, this is my new, like, excited <laughs> letdown. Like, I haven't felt this way since I was really hyped for ReCore, yeah. and then ReCore just didn't <laughs> wow, hit. Wow, ReCore, uh, still, yeah. Still kills me <laughs> to this yeah. day. Um, man. That, that could have been really good. But anyway, um, yeah, sort of my takeaway, you know, I was looking forward to this as um, a game where I could kind of make some interesting decisions mechanically and kind of tinker with things. And I think my big letdown, you know, spoilers aside, because a lot of people say like, oh, a lot of people don't like it because of the ending or whatever, because of where it goes. Um, I had problems long before I finished the okay. game. Um, I, I just think it's really a little bit boring and it doesn't really um control that well i played on console i played on uh mm. series x which i would recommend if you are still interested in checking it out like to me i think this works better on pc because it's a point and click essentially and pointing and clicking with the cursor is a very specific kind of hell specifically in this game um it's just a little bit finicky i think they because it has like the time constraints like which i understand that conceit mechanically but even in like the moment to moment action there are like these weird time constraints where again without giving something away it's like all right i need to grab this item from this character oh i need to do it within like 10 seconds or i you know he's gonna get up and then i'm dead and i gotta redo the loop again also for clarity it's 12 minute loops, but they're I'm pretty sure they're not real life 12 minutes, right? I didn't time uh, it out, but they're like shorter than that. It's like FIFA 12 minutes, you know, they're gotcha, like, of course, shortened. FIFA 12. Um, yes, the FIFA 12, <laughs> as everyone knows. But yeah, like so it just and I, I think also they give you a lot of there's a lot of layers of problems. I'm going to try to go on too long, but they give you a lot of like things that you can interact with, but that end up being not meaningful or really used for anything. Right. And like Maybe you can argue that's a red herring to kind of add difficulty, but it was one of those classic things where my one of my biggest complaints in like a puzzle game is when you know what to do, but it just takes a long time to execute it. And that right. creates frustration. I think 12 minutes suffers from that a lot. And then there are also just some times where you come up with a solution, 
but it's not the solution that they want you to do. And even though your solution makes sense, they're like, yeah, but that's not how we made it available. And again, I, I think you're allowed to have like specific solution sets. I don't think every game needs to have multiple solution sets for a single problem. But in a game that seems to invite you to play with the objects that you have as your tool set, the tool set's actually like secretly way more limited in a way that I think doesn't serve the game well. So those were kind of my beefs with it, just yeah. kind of on a surface level. Um, yeah, yeah, just it did not hit, did not hit. Yeah, I, I was going to say I I appreciate and and I'm really into the the premise from a mechanism standpoint. This the idea of a, basically a point and click adventure game, but you're in a time loop and you you're in a very small environment and just kind of unfolding things. And when that when you get a, a, a you know revelation of another thing that you can try in the next loop and that happens organically, that feels really good. But it but then it does fall into that problem of what all you know all adventure games have where it gets a little too obtuse and you get to that point where it's like well maybe i'm gonna put the toaster you know in the bathtub and maybe that will do you know like you you want to just kind of cycle through like brute force problem you know like whatever the mystery is that you're doing but here it's like well, first I have to play through this five minutes of the sequence in order to get back to that right. point, and then I'm going to try something else there. And so that that becomes very convoluted. And then the like my my biggest takeaway is I just don't understand why they chose to tell the story that they chose. It, <laughs> that it is, is well, that's, that's it, is, it is such a bizarre and and again like I enjoyed probably you know, the first half to maybe three fourths of it. And okay. there are some twists in there and it's like, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then it just dives off this cliff of like, why, why would you, why are you doing this? We need why to be twisty. We need to be unexpected. We need to be shocking. But this is too yeah. many layers. Well, I don't, I just want to interject and say, like, the overall story it tells, like, it is shocking. Ooh, like, right. who would have guessed? But also, it's not like there's never been a story like that before. If There's a lot of examples of, of I think, mediums telling that kind of story sure. that are far more interesting. So, like, we've seen that kind of story done well. I don't think this is an example of it being done well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But- I have a literature background, so it's like... Yeah, I've read stuff like this before, but like some usually it's well written instead. But you know, anyway. <laughs> but apparently that Annapurna name is enough for you know Willem Dafoe, Daisy Ridley, James McAvoy to sign up for this sucker. But and and that that's part of just what is so befuddling to me of like you're going to get all these big name actors, well three I guess, uh, to to tell your story, and you're you're obviously going to put a lot of time and resources into it, but just. <laughs> The the places that you choose to go with it narratively, just it, it's I I don't understand I don't understand. Okay, in twelve minutes, uh, you know, some people seem to like it. Uh, but let's see. Uh, Starkiller said, watching us live backstage pass. He said, Sarah Pazorski's stream on Minmax's Twitch channel playthrough of the game is the exact right way to experience it. I'd imagine that was a journey. Uh, watching her struggle through this game. All right, so probably not one of the year's best, but twelve minutes. They're they're going for it. Um. Real quick, because I don't want to bum everybody out again, but Jet the Far Shore 
which is one of Jeffum's most anticipated games of 2021. Uh, it's coming out October In 5th. 2020. It, I, it was on That's my 2020 right. list. That's right. For a long a time, we're looking forward to this Work's sucker. Works hard lately. Uh, but uh, this game is coming out October 5th on PS4, PS5, and PC. Uh, this is the Sword and Sorcery Super Brothers developer, their new game. Um, we got a preview access here, and it seems like the takeaway is uh, not so much right now. But Jeffum, as somebody who is looking forward to it so much, what is your high-level takeaway at this point? for Jet the Far Shore. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I really appreciate uh, the presentation that they go with and kind of the atmosphere that that they build up in the beginning. You you know, there's like, um, you're, you're kind of, you're, the world is doomed and stuff and you're going to a different planet. And sure. And then you're exploring the planet. Like all of that is the kind of sci-fi fodder that I just absolutely love. Um, but and, and one of the things that I thought was going to be interesting uh, just watching it was it kind of had a No Man's Sky, you know, almost interstellar vibe of like you're going to go to this weird, dangerous planet and you're going to you're going to be the one exploring it. And that's also super interesting because it is, you know, a bespoke planet and not like procedurally generated. Right. That there would be more interesting things to do when you get there. And that this earth the early chunk that we played maybe it goes different places and becomes more interesting but what you were doing it is just ultimately kind of very bland and not interesting like you you spend a lot of time figuring out how to kind of just fly your little plane around and then you have very limited interactions with the world you, you kind of can focus on things and you have a, a little grappling hook that can kind of grab onto things but there's just not there's not a lot of reason to want to continue exploring. And and the, the thing that was really weird to me was you kind of go to this this one big island and and they're like, okay, now now just kind of interact with the fauna and and you know like catalog things. And then they, they just give you twenty like a twenty minute timer. It's like, do this for twenty minutes. And it's like, man, I don't wanna I don't wanna spend twenty minutes doing this. And then, and then after that, they there were like these little encampments that you that you wanted to kind of pull and put into a safe place. But one of mine like rolled down this cliff into the ocean, and then I couldn't drag it back up. And and it was it was like I it, it it's just like a it, it wants you to invest a lot of time into what you're doing. Yeah. But there's but it's just not interesting enough to keep me wanting to continue it yeah that's tough you'll keep checking it out jeff or you feel like you're done with jet here hey i you i think yeah i would like to go back to it like i said the presentation and the music and everything like when when those things work it's it's really interesting and it, it kind of evokes those feelings that kind of angsty sci-fi can give you of like you know of like luke staring at the sunset right you know, right like, right like it, it it can it can hit on those things when it is but but there's just there's a lot of kind of fluff and uninteresting exploration in between it so i i hope it goes more interesting places yep. and maybe you'll upgrade your ship and that will get more interesting but um what i what i played was not a good was not a good start yeah uh speaking of good start janet are you live right now uh sure <laughs> yes okay. hey unfrozen welcome <laughs> Um, took me out. That's how people didn't want to hear the truth, you know, but I yeah. disagree with Jeff and said, uh, it's not good. Yeah, okay. That, that's rough to hear. Uh, hey, just leave it at that. Um, you know what is good, Janet, is you and your company. It's so good. In fact, sometimes we don't deserve it. And sometimes 
um, we need you to clap out so that a special guest can come in. Thank you, Janet. Leo Vader, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Leo, it's a very special day today because this episode of the podcast, do you know what it is? Brought to you by... Squarespace. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Check out Squarespace. Make a site. Make a dreams come true. Go, Daddy. Uh, no, Leo, it's your freaking birthday, man. Oh, thank you. Happy oh, birthday. birthday. Um, <laughs> Who can we guess? I think I think I'm gonna go yeah. with twenty. Twenty-eight. I'm gonna go with twenty-five. Twenty-nine. Twenty-eight is correct. Do you really think twenty-five? Uh, yeah. I did. Wow. You seem like such a young, lively boy. All right, Jeff, I'm not, you. not trying to guess your own age. Oh, no. Oh, I don't want to play that game. <laughs> okay, great. Game over. Uh, let's see. Leo, do you remember JV? JV, you remember Leo? Of course. Hi, JV. Great Hi. to see you. It's, I vaguely remember you. Okay. Hi. Great, great. Hi. Um, hey, you know what you two have in common? A real icebreaker for the two of you? Uh, uh, this game called The Forgotten... City. Uh, game rules. This game rules. It's a it's a <laughs> weird one to talk about um, without any spoilers. But let's see, Leo, do you want to set this sucker up? What is the Forgotten City? It is tricky to talk about. It's kind of immersive simmy. You're in a time loop scenario, talking to a bunch of different people and all these different threads some of which pay off like within the same loop. Some of them you get information like as someone's dying and then you can use it the next loop to save them. And it's like a really interesting world with a really interesting conceit that even that core conceit, I don't know if I want to give away because it's I, like, I think the so core much better to learn it. Premise. It might not give the core premise away. Yeah. So the idea, yeah, I, Oh, go ahead, JV. You can give it away right yeah, now. So you end up in an ancient, you're, you are a modern day person. Uh, who ends up in an ancient sort of Roman city uh, somewhere. And the city is governed by one rule that if you, how does it? How, the golden rule is you, if you. The golden rule is if you, if anyone sins in this city, everyone dies. Uh, and you're stuck in a time loop where whenever that happens, you know, you restart the day. And your mission is to find out uh ostensibly your mission is to find out who the sinner is but right. it goes places from there and I, I i think at that point we should stop talking oh about for sure specific plot <laughs> it, stuff. It, it feels like it kind of has a similar loop to something like a her story or something where it's like it just kind of like good narrative focused detective game and so yes. just for a framework for what the forgotten city actually looks like it's a pc only at this point but it started as a skyrim mod is it is it, is it on a console? On console. Is it really? I think Forgotten City is on console. I oh. Because I saw people complaining about the PS4 version, which might not be the strongest um, support of the console. Oh, okay. Well, regardless, it started as a Skyrim mod about dwarves, right? And then now it has evolved to a standalone Dwimmer. thing to be about. Dwimmer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me, everybody. The point is, it started as the Skyrim mod, so it feels very, very Bethesda. If you're a fan of that old Bethesda character, look at you, lock into a conversation for a while <laughs> while you're trying to solve this mystery of who is sinning in this old town. Like, honestly, it is one of the greatest little hooks because I first saw this game a while ago and was like, okay, I'm not really the biggest Elder Scrolls fan, not too sure. Narrative-focused experience, we'll see. And then just that idea of, oh, no, you're in this town, and if one person sins, the world ends. Like, that is such a cool idea 
really, really interesting design decisions that have been very compelling and just sharp writing. Like an example of both of those is when you start, you pick kind of one thing about your character. Like maybe you're the history buff and you'll have random bits of knowledge about ancient history or you can sprint faster or you are an ex-military guy and you have a gun on you <laughs> that has amazing. 10 bullets and you can never get more. Did anybody else pick the gun guy? I picked the gun guy. No, that seems it very aggressive. so funny. You it's can't such sin. A funny idea. <laughs> and yeah. so first thing I did being escorted through the town by the intro guy to shoot him in the back of the head, <laughs> which does break the golden rule. <laughs> That's not clear. But there's another part where um, you're a guy is threatening you and he says any last words and the piece of dialogue that you have if you have a gun is this is a gun and I'm going to kill you <laughs> for your last words and you pull your gun out That's and there's funny. so many like surprisingly funny moments like that and every character is unique enough like if there's 20 people in this city so you right. kind of get to know everybody which yeah, I really appreciate they all appreciate. feel very distinct like they're they're not just like a conglomerate They're They all have individual identities and crises they're going through and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. How I haven't finished it yet. How long is it to finish this game? Is it kind of like a murky thing of how long you want to go through this loop for? Uh, I mean, it depends to get the, 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 the golden rule, the golden ending, oh the, my God. the real ending you want to get. It took me four and a half hours. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It seems cool. So, Leo, up there for your experiences so far this year, you think? Definitely. I'm only a couple hours in, but I'm definitely going to see it through, and it's among the top games of the year for me, for sure. Oh, Yeah, it's my number two or three, I think. So, it's, yeah, it's right behind Wildermyth. Yeah. It's so good. It's the thing that I really like about Forgotten City, and I know Jacob Geller is going to listen to this and get really frustrated, and that's fine. Okay. Um is that when Outer Wilds came out, people talked about how great that game was as like a sort of uh, time-looping thing, you know, a time-looping adventure and stuff. And I never really got on with it because it was just a little too rough for me to like. And I was in the minority, to be fair. It seems like the whole world loves that game. Yeah. But what I love about The Forgotten City is that it takes the pillars of, or seemingly takes like the design pillars of the Outer Wilds and puts them in a more constrained, controlled environment. And for someone like me, like, that's great. I love it. I can finally see, like, oh, this is... The time loop mechanics are so much fun to play with here because they create shortcuts, too. Like, there are some very good shortcut mechanics, so you don't actually have to relive a lot of the events. There are a lot of funny dialogue options that are like, we've done this. We've talked about this. Let's go. Skip this <laughs> right, sort of thing. Right. And that's very smart. It's stuff that like Outer Wilds doesn't really have. It's stuff that 12 Minutes doesn't have. Right. Um, because I think there's maybe some fear there about breaking the time loop thing if you make players not live out that repetition. But the Forgotten City says, screw that. That'll get annoying. So they have those options there. And I love that. I really, really do love that. Uh, yeah. So. I like the Forgotten City. <laughs> In conclusion, good In game. In conclusion. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like I played the wrong time loop game. Yeah, you really blew it, Jeff. <laughs> you should have been playing the Forgotten City, it turns out. And yeah, it turns out you guys are completely right. It's available on absolutely everything uh, coming to Switch next year as well, is what they say. So it's on consoles and PC. So yeah, Jeff, you should check it out. I, I, I will say that I do really like that you can see the Bethesda genes in it still. Like, my favorite thing is when you talk to someone 
because I've been playing a lot of Skyrim and Oblivion lately, but when you try and talk to an NPC, they do like the whole awkward turnaround to look at you in the face. Oh, yeah. It, it, very robotic animatronic thing. It's still there, and I love it. <laughs> I, w- I wish all NPC animations and all video games were like that. It's so good. <laughs> do you really want to cash that wish? Do you really yes, want to damn I the really world? do. Um, well, hey, that's the Forgotten City, everybody. Um, Leo? Huh? Leo, are you there? Yeah. This is me on a podcast coming to you. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Writer's Republic is a beta. Writer's Republic is a beta that happened, and you played it, and you had thoughts on it, and now you'll talk about it to the crowd. Oh, no. (laughs) Ten years of podcasting. (laughs) Finally run its course. Nothing left. This is the big racing game from Ubisoft where you race a little bit of everything. It's a spiritual successor to one extreme, some would say. Um, But, yeah, what do you think about Writer's Republic so far, Leo? Super cool. I mean, the beta, I played a few hours of it and it kind of brings you from event to event to event. So I didn't get a sense of the open world or the shop or anything like that. Yeah. But the using skis, using bikes, using snowboards, it's cool how they have it all in one kind of unified control scheme of like you're flipping and you're spinning and then there's a button to do tricks. But if you can ride one thing, you can kind of ride them all, even though they do feel different. And that made it really easy and fast to get on board with every, pun intended, with every different sport they have in there, which is a lot of them. Yeah, what, what, what is it now? Snowboarding, skiing, BMXing, uh, jet air gliding. I think that one's made up. <laughs> <laughs> Those are just the ones I did in the beta, though. I could see little, like, uh, graphics that represented more of them. That's absurd. And it's unified enough where it feels like, smash brothers characters or something it's like you get the basic controls jumping from one to the other but each one's just gonna have its own flavor there right but each one's gonna have its own flavor but they all feel good right away and just like the downhill biking you know that's been gamified in a lot of ways but this to me is the perfect mix of like stylish and you're doing double backflips and crazy stuff but it's still feels great and looks great like the dirt flying up and the fidelity of the bikes and all the other riders I think it's a really good mix of realism levels for me. Huh. So better than you thought it would be even. Yeah, I'd say that. I was already excited for it, but yeah. And I, now I'm going to get it for sure. Wow. There we go. Yeah. It's uh, October 28th. Yeah, October's going to be a, a big month for Ubisoft. That's wild. Um, hey, do you guys want to move on? Okay. Jeff, um? Move. Okay. Well, hey, before we do, we should let everybody know that if you appreciate this show, you can support it. Hang on, let me try this again. This is a very specific phrase that I'm trying out, Leo. I'm <laughs> workshopping a little bit. It goes, if you appreciate this show, you can support it or join it at patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. Does that work, do you think? Join it, like send an email, then we'll read a community question. Yeah, a community question. Yep, or backstage pass, watch us live, all that stuff. Does that work as a concept, do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, YouTube has a join thing. Are we going to get on that? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? It's, you can get a big join button and then you pay $5 a month or whatever and you get exclusive YouTube videos. I like to think of our big join button as 
people going on their keyboards and typing in patreon.com slash minmax with two ends, everybody. We appreciate the support, even if JV is vigorously shaking his head. You should never say our big join button ever again. <laughs> All right. Hey, look at this, though. Uh, Lucas, a fellow patron, wants you to check out his YouTube channel, Fatal X Blade. That's right, Fatal X Blade with two spaces. His YouTube channel is primarily focused on highly edited reviews on the newest games. His reviews feature a short parody at the beginning of each video. He just finished a review on Aliens Fireteam Elite and is wrapping up Psychonauts 2 as we speak. So head on over to his channel, subscribe, and drop him a comment. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. That's Fatal X Blade, the YouTube channel. Leo, remember when you were just starting out your YouTube channel and you savored every comment like it was somebody throwing a slice of bread into your prison cell? Yeah, hearted every single one. Well, there you go. Give Lucas something to heart by going and checking out a Fatal X Blade video on YouTube. Lucas, thank you so much for your support. We appreciate it. Also, thanks to our dear friends at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know that you can get the vinyl soundtrack for Mutazion. Um, it's a double vinyl soundtrack with immersive garden gatefold and includes the extensive liner notes, music by Alessandro Coronas, album art by Niels Deniken. You can check that out on their wonderful online store. I am 8-Bit. Check out their store. Everything in that store you can get 10% off of under $100 if you use the promo code for this month which is wake me up. No space. Wake me up. You get 10% off everything in I am 8-Bit's wonderful online store so help support them because they support us in a big way including in a very tangible way by shipping out a prize every single week to the MinMax community. Whoever has the best question of the week and JV this week, whoever has the best question gets the vinyl copy of Junebug's Too Late to Love You from Kentucky oh. Route Zero. Uh, hold on, hold Hang on. Hang on. JV's about to <laughs> blow us away. Hold on. But I assume he's, he's writing an email right now. I had to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is exactly what we're talking about. That's wild. Yeah. So I may be able to ship out a copy for you if you submitted a great question. Uh, they give away a prize each and every week to Patreon supporters. Thanks, everybody. It's very good. Yeah, there it is. All right, community questions. Here we go. It goes a little something like this. Uh, Deep Space Trace writes in and says, in your opinion, what is the perfect length for a gaming session? I used to think three hours was a sweet spot, but now I have two small children. Even just one continuous hour is golden. I think, hmm. I think two, personally. <sighs> I'm a man. two man. Yeah, two man. I I feel like COVID changed it for me because like so much of my life now is like like I work and play in the same space, if that makes sense. And I think that drastically changes my need to like go out and do something else or like go into another mo- room and watch a movie or something. So I want to say like it used to be four hours for certain games and now it's just like two uh, unless we're playing Phasmophobia or Dead by Daylight. And then it just goes on as long as like until we're ready to disperse. Yeah. And then it seems like your life is nothing but a consistent rotation of two hour blocks of gaming because you are still playing a mind boggling amount of games. Like you said you were getting into what was it going back into Skyrim and Oblivion. Then at the same time, you're getting back into Destiny 2. Like what is your life? It's absurd. <laughs> well, I only play those like bits and pieces like it. It took I played Skyrim for like two months and wrapped that up recently. I had a a rad playthrough as an orc who just beat everything to death. I don't usually play like barbarian or knight mm-hmm. sort of like stuff. I usually am a rogue, so I've been like trying to branch out and play as like knights and, and mages and stuff. Uh, so I wrap that up. Oblivion's more of a like, let's poke the weird parts of this very weird game and see 
uh, the most interesting stuff because I've never done like a really big playthrough of that. Um, but yeah, Destiny's also like I don't think I'm gonna do everything in that game. I'm more like catching up in Destiny. Right, right. Um, and just I don't. It's Destiny is such a weird experience for me because it's one of those things of like I come at it as like an artifact that I'm looking at is rather as like something I love because it's just such a confusingly designed game, like where it puts its uh, priorities. Like you can't access a bunch of the stuff that the game launched with apparently. And I didn't know that. Right, like right. it's just so aggressively unkind to casual <laughs> and new players. <laughs> um, and you know, that's, that's not, it, it's it's a fascinating choice to me. You know, I don't say that as like necessarily like a strong, harsh criticism. It's just one of bewilderment of like, so are you focused just on retaining an audience and not necessarily growing it? Because that's what that game feels like to me is like they have they've caught the players that they want and they're not really interested in expanding those borders. Um, so it's just that 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 part of that game is fascinating to me. And it's one that I've been trying to understand for like the past ever since like destiny came out you know right, it just right. seems like it's the elements that destiny chooses to emphasize and the ones that it chooses to say nah or we're gonna do the bare amount of work like it's more of like a thing that i try to study as opposed to something like i have a lot a lot of fun with yeah, uh, yeah. so that that's the destiny story okay and that's what you do in your two-hour sessions then is you just study yes. you take notes yes that's exactly my, just yeah. take notes Jeff, are you down to six minutes with a, a newborn now? I'll or? take whatever time I can get. Yeah, but what, what is but perfect? I, ideal, ideal. I'd say probably ninety minutes, two hours. Yeah. Okay. All right. All of it's dedicated to Red Dead Redemption Two, right? Of course. Yeah. I was just r- listening to old audio logs I leave behind for myself in the future from like 2018, and I was talking about how I always look forward to Saturdays and I'm like, I'm going to do nothing but game out. I'm just going to chill and game out the whole day. And the audio log was like, I say that every week. And then I always hate it. I'm always <sighs> in such a bad mood by the end of Saturday. And I think that's about, you know, variety being the spice of life. Certainly if you're mixing between a single player game and a social game or different types of games you like, it's different, but it's like, I want to do nothing but play this game. That normally doesn't really pan out. And I feel like the two hours for me is the sweet spot of like, I've had the most fun I'm going to have and I can take a break and come back to it later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think reviews at Game Informer kind of ruined binging games for right. me. Like I used to be super into it, but like after I had to rush the Prey review over a weekend, at, after that, it just became one of those things of like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't play a game for like 10, 15 hours straight. Uh, it's just work. It feels like work at that point. Yeah. And it changes um, your perspective on it in such a potentially negative way as well when it's just that yeah. level of a grind but i thought for sure leo you're gonna say you had a little audio note for yourself that was never forget how good the second half of red dead redemption 2 is unbelievable <laughs> storytelling leo i i still just can't i i thought you were joking about leaving yourself audio logs you're like a character from a video game someday <laughs> you're gonna disappear and 20 years from now we're gonna go to your house and we're just gonna Skip past lore and look for those and try and piece together the narrative. That's I was just... very con- confused for a second because I thought Leo was joking and saying he was uncovering notes somehow that he had left for himself from the future. So like world of tomorrow sort of thing of like, here's a message from 20 years, Leo, from now. Um, but yeah, this this makes much more sense than that. I would be curious to hear what 40 year old Leo would leave or 
48-year-old Leo would leave as a note, though. We, yeah, working on my new poison today. Hope it doesn't go wrong. <laughs> Leo, do you want to use this opportunity to leave a note for yourself for when you're 40? Just like a real quick shout-out? Sure, just into the podcast? Yeah, so everybody remember, because it's Leo's birthday today, so everybody send this to him on his 40th birthday. Yeah, just this little clip right here. Here it goes. Hey, bud. Wow. Over the hill, huh? That's amazing. You've made it. Or you're dead. <laughs> uh, either way, congratulations. I hope you've made a lot of great progress in your life. You've already done great at 28. Can't imagine what you'll get up to by 40. Love you. <laughs> there it is. And we don't tell each other that we love ourselves enough. And by that, I mean, we don't tell ourselves that we, the point is we should tell each other that we love each other. Hey, Vera, a lot of my alarms on my phone say, get up right now. Love you. Cause they're really abrasive to have to wake up at 7am. And it's nice to look at your phone first thing in the morning and see that instead of just like get to work or you lie, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Hey, VRG writes in and says, uh, what are your habits regarding caffeine consumption? How much do you consume daily? How do you take your coffee and tea? Uh, I've got better about it, but two years ago, I was really bad. I'd have like four or five cups of coffee a day. Now it's pretty much two. Uh, and I just get up in the morning and make a French press for me and my partner, uh, Audrey. And then later in the day, I usually have like an espresso, which has less caffeine. So it's like a, a cup and a half worth of coffee, caf caffeine-wise. How are you uh, doing on a days where you don't get that coffee say you're traveling out on a trip or something like when you're at that five cup a day if you didn't get it by noon was your head caving in on itself i mean you were with me for several of those trips you know the answer to that oh that's why you were grumpy yeah that's why i was grumpy i was either hungry or deprived of caffeine yes. i see i see yeah that was that was my issue that's why i quit caffeine a couple years ago now uh it was just that idea of like i hate having that ticking clock if I'm traveling or out of my normal rhythm, which should be a, a thing to celebrate, but instead now I just have like this meter in my mind of like, if I don't get a Starbucks or something dumb by like 10, I'm going to feel terrible. And it's just like, I, it's very liberating to quit caffeine and not have that pressure anymore. And the secret is I am exactly as awake as anybody else. Like there's eventually it evens out and it's not like everybody around me is staying up later than I am. It's like, no, it, your body just gets used to whatever you're doing. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. I think I love coffee too much. It's, it's bad out of all the things you can love in life too much though. I, there are worse things. So yeah. I think I'll, I'll stick with coffee, but I, I totally respect that. You know, uh, I, I can imagine there are definitely health benefits to not drinking caffeine at all. I don't know what they'd be realistically. There could be too much realistically. <laughs> Not being grumpy on airplanes. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. I love coffee and I love the routine of coffee and the taste of coffee, but I really came to realize how dependent I was on it, like how screwed I was if I didn't have it earlier this year. So I've quit it since then. And I've come since I quit it kind of cold turkey, but now I have it when I'm like hanging out with friends mm. or whatever. We'll I'll go out to the coffee shop and it's like fun for me to have in that case as a little treat and then it's like you know a mood picker upper without it being like becoming routine for me again yeah yeah that's that's what i save a good blast of decaf for and i know it's i remember it being the worst thing but now decaf coffee is the best thing in my mind probably secretly because there's still a little bit of caffeine in there so it feels like you're really cheating the system yeah. and just it's kind of it's like drinking flat pop or something but if you're really mm. into pop this is the best you can do um jeff what are you doing 
You sipping tea all day? But I'm a tea guy, yeah. Big but the, the secret is I only use one tea bag and then I just keep filling it up. So by like halfway through the day, I'm basically just drinking warm water. Yeah. Interesting. Just hmm. chugging Jeff, warm we water. Were, we were talking about this earlier. Do you still have your Godfather mug? I do. Um, is it at your place, Hanson? No, I have I have the mug that we got. <laughs> oh, you, you you have the mug of me drinking from the Godfather. Yeah, we have a MinMax mug which you can find at our merch store, which is Jeff um in the shape of his old Godfather mug, drinking from his Godfather mug. And yeah, that's the one that I've been using every day for quite a while now, <laughs> Jeff. So thank you for leaving that here. Yeah. This this owl mug is my everyday mug. And so I don't I don't have a work mug anymore. Yeah. Because I'm at home. So Hey, uh, my name is Dan, submits a question over on Patreon, and says, Hello, friends. Do any of you have a favorite post credit scene from a video game? Yes, we post credit scene. Man. I'm trying to think of some. I mean, in my mind, there's only one post credit scene that really matters, and it's Metal Gear Solid 1, the post credit scene, where it's just Ocelot yeah. on the phone, that he ends it with, Yes. He believes he's the inferior twin, Mr. President. It's just, it is the dopiest ending, but I remember just losing it the first time that showed up. Like, what? Ocelot knows the president? Little did I know where that story would go. Does uh, does Samus being revealed to be a woman, does that count? Is like post-credit or is that, I can't even remember. That's just ending more than post-credit, right? Yeah, Yeah. I just couldn't remember if there were credits. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm going through my top ten right now, and I don't think any of them have post-credit scenes. They should just have, no matter what the game is, at the end of the credits, have one character talking on the phone and then end it with, Mr. President. Just everybody. And then one finally goes, Mrs. President. Wow, save that for, yeah, Metroid Dread. I like the the portal one they added that teased Portal 2. Oh, that's right. I've heard, like, being pulled back in. Yeah, because so it was a, there was originally a post credit scene, right? I don't. Were you, were you just lying there and weren't getting pulled back, or am I misremembering? I don't All think I remember there is the was. hype around them changing the ending. It is a crazy oh, move, like to take Portal One's ending and then be like, "Yeah, but no, actually, Chell didn't make it out. Get ready for Portal Two, everybody." Oh, yeah. weird. I assumed that. I thought that was in. Did they add that in, Leo? Yeah. After? Oh, okay. I just. Maybe that's because I played the game later, mm. but I, I always thought that was in there for whatever reason. It's just like, oh, okay. It's probably because I bought the orange box or whatever at a later date. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Steven Lamson writes in and says, who has been your favorite main character from video games that have been released in the past three years? Mine would have to be Jesse from Control, but I'm having trouble thinking of any other main characters that left a big impression on me. Uh, is Red Dead still three years old? It's 2018. Yeah, that counts. Uh, right? Well, if Red Dead doesn't count, probably does. the, I don't want to say his name because it's a huge part of that game, but the main character from Disco Elysium. I think oh. is, is pretty big um, for Interesting. me. Uh, yeah, Iconic I think design, too. Memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think there's anyone else that, like, immediately jumps to mind. Yeah, I forgot that, yeah, Red Dead 2 would count here. And, and Jeff, I'm not trying to give you crap. You can even look away if you want. Yeah, but Arthur Morgan, I mean, by a landslide yeah. would be the answer. But my mind oh, really ooh, went ooh, to, uh, ooh, yeah. Last of Us Part Two. Uh, I have problems with that game, but sure. um, Abby. Yeah, yeah, Abby. Okay, for sure. Um, light spoilers for Last of Us Part Two, everybody. Um, yeah, Ichiban from Yakuza Seven. 
Yeah, because like a dragon, yeah. I should say. That's certainly up there for me. So that and that's, Arthur. That's, that's the same sort of thing as Arthur, right? Of like, how do you pivot away from this character who is like come to define the series with a new character and make him like nearly as as likable but in a huge but in a very different way it's super impressive ichiban yeah yeah uh let's see oh boy we got shipwright jumping over there on patreon and saying hey everybody i've been hearing a lot of buzz about this new game the forgotten city that's out and hearing the title reminded me of my favorite skyrim mods of the same name from back in the day there we go what a coincidence i thought imagine my surprise when i checked its website and found out this game actually is based off that original mod that i played so long ago this leads to my question is there any mod slash add-on to a game that you think genuinely improved the overall experience or rekindled a love for an old favorite Thank you. Love the show. Thank you, Shipwright. Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Like a mod that was like, took me back to an old game and I was like, oh yeah, this rules or something? I think just a mod or, or yeah, a mod slash add-on to a game that overhauled the experience and kind of rekindled it. Man, I don't know if it counts. Well, it started as a mod, so it counts. Black Mesa, I think for Oh, okay. That's yeah. good. Like I went back and finally played like the whole thing at least like what they had up until now i know they're adding the zen parts now but right like, right it's just they 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 focused on the right parts to improve uh of the original half-life experience i feel like yeah i think it's a yeah. good one uh blade and sorcery is probably the most recent game i've modded it's a vr game that has really visceral sword combat and people have added really visceral gun combat and lightsaber <laughs> combat Etc. Yeah. Oh, that's no. that's the one game I've seen so far where people try and like get the John Wick kind of combat into a video game, and that seems to be the closest one of just like being able to like experience all those ridiculous sort of cartoony gun kata moves uh, from John Wick and from a first person perspective. That seems to be really the only one that I've seen like videos of that's like where it's convincing and not janky. Right. Right. Uh, Christopher Reardon writes in and says, Hey, JV, do you have any thoughts on the current state of accessibility in gaming? Has your role in the PR world given you any more insight on that matter? Uh, I mean, I'll take, I'll take, I'll work backwards on sure. that. Uh, not really from a PR perspective, just because um, I, I haven't had that, I haven't, you know, had that much uh, contact with like writing any accessibility stuff up or like doing any press blast or releases about it. So, no. But I will say, like, I've watched, you know, how accessibility has, like, progressed since I left the media. And it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. But it's that sort of thing of, like, it's not good enough yet, I'd say. Uh, because the dream is, like, the dream is that everyone should be able to play whatever game they want, you know, uh, no matter what their disability is. And I think that's a pretty good high point to stick with. Um, but like some of the uh, I'm really impressed that Microsoft has stuck to its guns with like, you know, uh, making accessibility a huge sort of hardware and software focus. Um, Nintendo's still really bad at it. You know, that kind of sucks considering that, like, there are so many beloved games there, like they really need to make an effort. Um, Sony's getting better at it. They're still not as good at it as Xbox is just because they don't make hardware accommodations. Like they're still firmly planted within software territory, which is important 
right? Like, you know, the fact that so many people can play Uncharted, uh, The Last of Us, Ratchet and Clank, all the Sony first party exclusives and have a multitude of options available to them that weren't available five or six years ago. That's a huge deal. And I think that deserves to be praised, but it can always be better. Accessibility can always, always be better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Poor Frisco writes in and says, I'm wondering what naming convention was once the most absurd thing you could think of when you first heard it and you're used to it now. I remember people mocking the name Joy-Cons relentlessly at the time, and now it doesn't seem to bother anybody. On the other hand, calling the weird PSP discs in plastic cases universal media discs still seems stupid years later. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely my first instinct was like, oh, Xbox One? But I was like, no, that's still stupid. I still get tripped up on that and the idea of calling it xbox xbox one is still confusing so i don't know if that quite counts uh is this just acronyms or, or just names in I think general? just names in general yeah i still at the time i remember when i know you said joy cons but the switch i think we kind of snickered around the office when that was announced right like yeah. people were like the switch like and then, of course, they did the little audio clip of like it switching into place. And like, oh, all right, and being able to switch, take it on the go. So eventually, it stuck. But yeah. initially, like most people at GI, I felt I don't want to speak for everyone, but I still remember that being kind of like the immediate reaction was like, oh, that's kind of weird and dumb. And eventually, it made sense. Yeah. Um, but that was definitely my reaction. Was like, all right. Yeah, I remember making fun of the name Left for Dead. Yeah. It is pretty silly, stupid, and now it's just it's just a brand, you know. It's just it's a genre, baby. That's true. You're right. God, that's crazy. I think we also don't appreciate how nonsensical Metal Gear Solid is. (laughs) Hey, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. That is when I was a kid and I heard Metal Gear Solid. My reaction was like, "That's rad." (laughs) <laughs> like just because it's like so many like heavy metal words next to each other. Especially when you find out the location in this game is Shadow Moses. Like that's the coolest sounding thing <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I, when I was like ten or eleven or whatever, I was like, yeah, that's rad. I love that. I remember it's talking so about that game yeah. once, and a girlfriend at the time was like, "What? What? What are you saying, Mudaga Solid?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, no, I'm sorry, I said it fast. It's Metal Gear Solid. It doesn't make any more sense. It makes it any better. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Yeah. And don't be confused. It's not solid, according to Kojima, because the main character's name is Solid Snake. It's solid because of the 3D polygons are solid. That was <laughs> that was his explanation of the name. Oh, got it. Okay, Makes cool. perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a, a, one that's high up for me is PUBG. The fact that we're all very used yeah. to just saying PUBG. Just nonsense. Uh, and it's like, oh, of course, PUBG, one of those important games of in the history of gaming at this point, the history of the industry, which, you know, there was news this week that uh, Brendan Green, Mr. Player Unknown himself, left the company, and now he's forming a new indie studio out there in Amsterdam, which I'm very curious to see what he does. I was looking forward to that weird prologue survival thing he was working on that they teased a while ago, but I don't know if that'll stay in development or what. But Crazy it overcame that name to be as big as it was. I know. Yeah, I remember, like, the first stream we did... Back at Game Informer, it was like Dan Tack and I playing PUBG. I remember talking about it and saying, like, player unknowns battlegrounds, there has to be a better thing to call this. And I remember somebody in the chat being like, eh, people are calling it PUBG. And I was like, eh, no, that's that's stupid. <laughs> it's, that it's, such, like, yeah. it's such a bummer because I feel like I'm still forever, whenever I load up a battle royale game, I'm still kind of chasing 
that first experience I had totally. with PUBG where I had a tense standoff with someone in a house and they were just like, I don't shoot, I can trade, I can trade. And then I shot them by accident, like just because <laughs> I was so scared. So it became like the scene from the road, you know, <laughs> like I, I feel like I still miss that, you know, and I don't know if you, if that if I can ever get that sort of like experience back in that genre. Uh, of course, it's like, um, you know, evolved since then in really cool and exciting ways like Apex and stuff. But still, like when PUBG launched so much, fun. like it, it felt like the Wild West, right? Like it was just so many experiences you could have within a single match. So good. Yeah, maybe I just need to go back and play more Battle Royales. But yeah, I'm skeptical that anything could match just the adrenaline and just like the stories generated from that first couple months span with PUBG. That was just some of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly the finest round. Leo, can we play PUBG for New Show Plus? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Joey Crundwell writes in and says, Hey, Ben and CLCs, uh, for whatever reason, I often find myself thinking of a story that Dan Shu, former editor-in-chief of EGM, once shared. Uh, apparently, the old EGM editors would have job applicants play a video game in front of them to prove they actually played games and weren't faking it on their applications. Once, he said, a guy showed up and had no idea how to play the game or even hold the controller. Thanks for the great content. Please consider doing Chrono Cross for the deepest dive in the future. You got it, Joey. I'd put the odds at 50% within the next couple of years we'll do Chrono Cross. Um, but I just found that story horrifying. Can you imagine that idea? I was like, all right, now we'll sit on this panel and watch you play a game. Do you think you would have yeah. gotten the job? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> People have seen me play games and videos. Yeah, it would have been horrific. No, yeah, that's a nightmare for sure. Like, yeah, even people I'm who are good at games, I'm sure, just would choke under that kind of pressure. But nowadays, you know, you got to be streaming them. You got to be prepared to play under pressure these days. That's right. Everybody's training right? for this job. I saw, I saw a little bead of sweat go down your head, Leo, when you said that. Are you feeling the pressure right now? Uh, <laughs> you know, like your next stream? Oh, God. I'm never applying for a job again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Frankie Rough Knight writes in and says, Congratulations on 100 episodes! Thank you! Uh, my question is regarding inclusion in games. Now, as a gay man gaming since the 90s, I've been very happy to see our medium evolve, not just in leaps and bounds, but those evolve, just not in leaps and bounds, but those very precious gems that do get me very happy. The Last of Us Part 2 had Ellie as an openly gay woman, but can you all think of examples of gay men as characters in gaming? Bioware's games uh, have given me some great options, but you think there's still too, you think it's still too early for gay men to be the main characters in a story-driven game? No, I don't think it's ever too early. Uh, I think I don't like thinking about it in those terms. I, just, I like to think about it in terms of like people just haven't done it yet. Uh, but I would love to see like a major action sort of RPG or like a triple A sort of game with like a lead who is like very gay and openly gay. Like I think that'd be really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's that, there's that many characters who at least you can play as, right? Who, who are men who are gay. I know there are like characters, like NPCs that are gay, like Bill from The Last of Us sure. is, is one. Uh, who is it from Dragon Age Inquisition? Is it Dorian? Is that his name? No clue. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bioware character, the it sucks. There should be like, I, I feel like there should be like a, an openly gay man as like a protagonist. That'd be great. Of course. Um, I find a- the pattern to be that you will get an NPC who says the word boyfriend once. Right. And yep. even that will be enough to have people, you know, protest the game. 
And I, I have noticed that people, there have been more, you know, gay women characters than gay male characters in gaming. And it makes you think about like who they think they're targeting and whether they're like, well, even if we make this girl character straight, then the romance would be with a guy and there are straight right. guy players that we got to cater to going to be okay with that kind of plot. Like, is it more palatable to them to be entangled with a woman? I think that's exactly where it's coming from. I yeah. think it's like, I don't know if they would focus, focus test this type of stuff, but that idea that I think guys would be more comfortable playing as a gay woman than a gay guy. Yeah. And it sucks. It's so limiting and stupid. Yeah. It's very, it's very frustrating that like, I feel like for there's so many spaces and games where people can only like really see themselves as like, you know, these blank sort of uh, slate characters that you can create in RPGs and stuff, which that's great that that option's there. But I really do think, you know, it'd be great if more people, if more diverse people had options to like see themselves as like the center of like a triple A franchise or something, you know, because I do think that matters. I think that matters a, a lot to people. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to see that personally. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I was, um, I was Googling around cause I'm like, there has to be some character that I'm not thinking of here. And like just Googling is the most popular gay man character soldier 76. Is he, that's like one of those things that they announced what, like a couple years in development. Like, by the way, soldier 76 is gay. Moving on. We did it. Is that the best this industry's got? <laughs> For like playable characters, I mean, does chat know? Is anyone filling chat? No, with, uh... no, yeah. Let us know. Um, I remember David Jaffe did say that there were gay characters in Jetmodo, which I went back and dug through to try and find that, and I couldn't find that. But I would love to know how they represent that in the game. But so Jetmodo protagonist and Soldier seventy six. But please let us know who we're not thinking of. Um, Dan Valone writes in and says, "Hey, gang." My son will soon be old enough to start playing video games, so I wanted to know how you think I should introduce him to games. Here are the options. Number one, kids these days don't appreciate how far games have come. Let's start with the Super Mario Brothers on NES Classic, then move on to Super Nintendo Classic, then PS1, and so on. Number two, (laughs) hang on, Leo, hear him out, hear him out. Number two, screw the old systems, boomer. This kid is playing on the PS5 from day one. I'm leaning towards option one, but what are your thoughts? I think if there's a healthy middle ground for sure, I think if you go fully option one, that's how you get your child to hate gaming and probably you. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. And to run away probably <laughs> as soon as they can walk. Or, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I agree to be a compromise, but maybe not as strongly as Leo in those strong <laughs> terms. But Leo, what would you say would be the divider then? Like what year or what game would you start your kid off with? What would oh, you no. start Leo Jr. off with? I think I'd, I think it should just be like mostly new stuff, some old stuff for historical context and for family bonding time, I think is mostly how it's going to go. Totally. I, children really love Mario. and I'm out of the loop on that. Honestly, That's I'd too probably, hard. if I had a kid, let's hope I don't ever. Uh, but if I had a kid, uh, I'd be, I'd probably put Ratchet and Clank in front of them. Like that comes to mind recently. Like That's just a really fun modern game that feels like I'm playing through a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, that'd probably be the one I'd let them play. I think it'd be pretty tough for something to start out with. But it all depends on ages. But, yeah, yeah, generally, I've evolved to the point of be a let-the-past-die person. Option two all the way. But absolutely make it, like, a special event. Like, all right, this Sunday is Daddy's Retro Game Day. Look at this. This is Oregon Trail. (laughs) Do you like this game? And then they'll 
spit their Cheerios in your face and you can call it a day. <laughs> Obviously, I'm being hyperbolic. And there are cases where, like, my dad showed me stuff he watched when he was a kid and it, like, shaped my personality. Like, it was such an important part of my childhood. Like, watching The Prisoner, this weird-ass show. Hell yeah. Oh, that's so good. So, yeah, That show is great and it still influences, like, a lot of the stuff I do. So, it's you know worth doing in moderation for sure right you're just talking about how your dad drug you to 2001 when it was in the theaters yeah. again that's awesome um and jeff um is the only person with a child you haven't spoken up yet which is interesting <laughs> yeah uh i i i questioned the premise of it completely oh. in terms of All hey i'm gonna sit you down and you're gonna learn about video games now like like making it making it a big introduction kind of thing i think just like Play games that are age appropriate so you're not blowing up heads or whatever. And then they'll probably just want to join in and play with you. And, yeah. And I I the I hope they're not like, okay, sit down, here's your controller, try this thing. Ooh, I hope you enjoy it. Right. No, that's not how you do it. <laughs> Give yeah. me that. You're doing it wrong. For the record, was your baby crying in the background as you were answering that? He's he's freaking out. <laughs> you can hear that? It's coming through the mic. Is your wife making him play Mario 2? Yes, <laughs> and that's the problem. Oh my don't, God. don't start with the classics. <laughs> uh, Zach Eink writes in and says, Hey, everybody, do you think the average person, we're talking average person, completes more games per year or reads more books per year? Keyword is completes. <laughs> oh, games. oh, that's a great question. I think games completes a game or he doesn't say complete a book. He says reads. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. It is completes games or books games. I think games. That's yeah. a really good question. I also think mm. games. I only started reading recently and like literally <laughs> there was a 10 year period where I didn't finish a book. Oh, my God. in heaven. <laughs> That is, that is a good question. That's an accomplishment. I, yeah, I, I want to say books just because there's like an there's still an age cliff there. I feel like of, yeah, but then I'm almost forty, so I don't know how high that cliff goes up at this point. But at the same time, like the completes thing, I think might shift it to books because if it's like I'm talking to average gamer on the street and they say. I like Madden. I like Call of Duty. I could say, <laughs> "Have you completed? <laughs> have you completed you either?" Flash mom? Yeah. If you ask if they've completed those games, they would spit their Cheerios in your face. Like I don't know. Would you at least beat Call of Duty's campaign? Or like my cousins who aren't super deep gamers into the gamer sphere, they're still like, "Oh, did you play Last of Us Two? I just finished it." You know, I guess Spider Man, like the big PlayStation tentpole titles. Okay, but, but this is. But we're talking average. We're talking all people, right? All people. All people love gaming. So, so there's a lot of people who, and, and I would think that like the percentage of, ga- of people who play games, a lot of them would still be like mobile games. That's going to be like right. the mainstream touch mm-hmm. tone. And the I don't know. How, uh, yeah, there's no finish to Candy Crush or whatever. What do you think is the most completed book on planet Earth? Front to back right. completed. Oh, uh, if you give a mouse a cookie. Oh, of course. Yeah, green eggs and ham. Yeah, it'd be a child's book. I feel like Dr. Seuss, one of the Dr. Seuss books. Yeah. (laughs) Because nobody stops reading those to their kid. (laughs) Ten pages in. Now this sucks. (laughs) What else you got? (laughs) 
Have you read children's books yet to your little wee one, Jeff? Um? Yeah, yeah, we read some. Very good night, mouse, or good night, moon, moon. Yeah, <laughs> if you give a moon, you read. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just look at the pictures. All right, all right. <laughs> There's like a mouse guy in this one. <laughs> the, the, the mittens and porridge look important for some reason. <laughs> He's sure. up to something. Uh, the Uncharted Wolf writes and it says, Hello, MinMax Warlords. Oh, hello. Um, have all you ever right. started something, be it game or any other piece of media, knowing full well you'll never finish it? I started watching One Piece the other day, and while I'm loving it, I can't help but feel I'll never get past 900 episodes. Yeah, you won't. Yeah, starting something when you know there's no chance of completing it. Has anybody got a saga there? Love Island. Oh. They're 50 episode seasons. What? Because <laughs> they hear them like four or five nights a week. Straight wow. until it's over. Because it happens in real time and people vote and stuff. We started a U- Love Island UK season five on recommendation from a friend, me and my girlfriend. We're like, we'll check this out. But 50 episodes, come on. But we did finish that season. I don't know if we'll ever watch another one because our friend who is recommending them says nothing else comes close, but I oh. do recommend Love Island UK season five, despite it being that long. 50? That a thrill ride. I, 50 episodes. I don't think I can do that, man. That is too much. It's fair. I'm out. Um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I start things, everything I start, I start with the intent of finishing it, even if it doesn't pan out. So I don't ever explicitly like go, I'm going to watch this or play this or read this and then dip out at a certain point. It just happens. But I like to try and like complete things that I start. Yes. I'm totally with you. Um, next time uh, your wonderful partner, Audrey walks by the background, by the way, JV, you should thank her for the wonderful merch she uh, made for MinMax. <laughs> Audrey, Ben says, thank you for the wonderful merch that you made for MinMax. She made a Colonel Trigger shirt and stuff, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Audrey. <laughs> She's getting closer to the mic. She's yep. saying something. They want you to say something. <laughs> I don't know. There it is! A <laughs> solitary wave! Thanks, Andrew. Uh, hey, look at this, though. Uh, Sassy Luchador says, Hello, MinMaxers. Loving this show, and here to a 1,000 more episodes. You betcha, Sassy. Having tried the Writer's Republic beta, I had to unfortunately listen to its cringy dialogue, which included words like rad and, quote, that was money. Come on. We're not allowed to say rad anymore. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with rad, okay? Yeah. I sign off all my emails saying rad. There's Some nothing things wrong are just it. rad. Yeah. Like JB's emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every single one. Uh, here's my question. What game has the cringiest dialogue? Heavy rain. It's not even close. Ooh, I, I was, was going to say, I don't, I don't know what game, but David Cage made it. Hang it's on. Not, not even, even close. close. I mean, you're competing with like... I mean, Blasto, which is pretty rough in a lot of spots. Um, you're I, you're competing with like I don't know. And those other games try as hard, and are they vaunted as like the peak thing. of video game stories? So it has to be serious. It thinks it's good, and then yeah, that's, that's what makes the it problem. Cringe. Is heavy Rain is so far up its own right, about how right. good it thinks it is, and the dialogue is so bad. I need to go back and stream that thing at some point. You really don't. Um, I think it'd be a silly stream, though. Uh, see, because I was thinking, like, okay, like, Resident Evil's, you know, even, like, something as great as Resident Evil 4, like, the, where'd everybody go? Bingo. It's like, is that just charming at that point? Does that still count as cringe? Yeah, no, I think it's charming. I don't think it's really cringe. 
like for it to be cringe like it has to be i feel for me at least it has to like think too highly of itself right. Resident evil 4 is just like so over the top and great and like goofy it's mm. really hard for me to be like oh that dialogue's awful you know because yeah. it's like drip it's it's just pulp man but just about every ethan line in seven and eight i would call cringe and that i think across the resident evil franchise you might have more cringe lines than any other franchise yeah. i think ooh, i think there's a contender there yeah i was thinking of like world of final fantasy which is a game that most final fantasy fans don't even <laughs> acknowledge exists but it released it was a big deal um, but that's what I just like I, so many JRPGs, you know, especially if they're voiced like that, there's going to be a lot of uh, cringe blowhardiness packed in there somewhere. Oh, like the strange got a lot of flack. It did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's on the self serious line though. It's like, if you're proclaiming yourself to be a serious story that cares about characters in a big, bad way, and then you misstep. I, what, uh, uh, which is the devil may cry game with all the bad like not the oh so bad it's good but just bad sort of puns and dialogue is it number two i don't know i know everybody hates or, two but i don't know if that's for the dialogue or what yeah not my series um leo i i was recently playing the opening of uh 2018 spider-man mm -hmm. and i was reminded about <laughs> when you came back from the cover story trip and you're like i'm a little worried about the writing in this game because in the beginning of the game spider-man crawls inside a vent in Fisk Tower and he says, my own personal ventrance. <laughs> and it, it really stood out to me playing that game again. Like, oh, that's right. Like, I think the writing of that game is pretty good overall, but I remember that's such a red flag for Leo when he talked about a personal ventrance. Do you remember the end of the month of coverage when we got Brian Intar on the line and he immediately said, oh, hey, Leo, you want me to talk about my favorite ventrances? <laughs> <laughs> no, I forgot about that. <laughs> that hilarious. was traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> Creative director of Spider-Man roasting me. Oh, man. I would not want to be held accountable by like the talent that have made the games that I've sort of like, even games that I've loved that I've nitpicked, you know, over the years, like wolfenstein or anything like that i would not want to be held accountable for things that i've said about that yeah people listen to stuff which is alarming um hey jacob yeah. hubbard writes in says happy 100th thank you jacob uh with jv on the podcast i have to ask him are you as anxious as me to get some wolfenstein 3 news new colossus feels like forever ago and while young blood was fun i'm eager to see how bj's story finishes what would you like to see in the game when it finally comes out for it to exist for it to exist um, you know like they say it's still happening. Like Pete Hines has said like twice now, I believe, that like Wolfenstein's still happening. Please stop bothering us about this. Um, but it's one of those things, right? Like Machine Games now has Indiana Jones. Right. Uh, so how much of like resources are going to be dedicated to Indiana Jones versus Wolfenstein? Um, and when Indiana Jones sells 16 gazillion units like when are they going to be that propelled to go back to Wolfenstein three? It's kind yeah. of a weird spot. Um, and also like machine games just released like DLC for quake of all things, like the original quake that they remastered, like they did new episodes right. for the remaster. So it makes me wonder if like, okay, they're going to wrap up Wolfenstein three. And then maybe that studio is just sort of like they're like the, okay, we'll remake old shooters sort of thing and then focus on like big properties so it's going to be like a two split studio um but as far as like wolfenstein goes it's one of those things where i was happy with how two ended 
you know, obviously it's it's not really a cliffhanger ending. It suggests that more is coming and then young blood happened. Um, so if we get more Wolfenstein, I'll be super happy, but like, I'm not going to have my heart broken if we don't get three. Like I'd yeah. love to play three, but I feel like two ended in a good enough spot where I was happy with that, honestly. Um, but I would love to beat the out of Mecha Hitler. Yes. It'd be nice. Yeah. I, I, it feels like even if they get derailed and get distracted and fuck these other games, they could have kind of like a. I don't know, the best example I could come up with like a, a Max Payne 3 or just like one last big hurrah of like, you all like single player story games? Check this out! I feel like there's a lot of money if they wait long enough for that, right? Yeah. Um, so never never say never to these types of things. Yeah, I just, I don't expect to hear anything about that game for like the next three or four years just because I don't want to get my hopes up. But mm. if and when Wolfenstein 3 happens, I will be very happy. There it is. Uh, Jason Wojnar writes in with the most JV question of all time, somehow topping that last one. He says, a long time ago, JV posted a picture from the Soviet war film Come and See on his Twitter. I want to know his thoughts on it. I personally think it's a masterpiece. It's very sad and devastating and as good of an anti-war movie as I've ever seen, and I never want to see it again. And I feel like that's the general sentiment for that movie. It's very horrifying. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's a Russian film, if yeah. I'm remembering correctly. It's just, it's very brutal. Like, you see stuff like the, uh, what was that Adrian Brody movie? The Pianist? Predators? Oh, Pianist? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, like, this movie's up there with that and, like, Schindler's List in terms of, like, the stuff it should, like, the atrocities it showcases and stuff. And it's beautifully shot. It's a beautifully shot movie. Like, when there aren't horrifying things happening on screen, it's one of the best movies about here's, you know, a countryside. This is how beautiful it looks and so on and so forth. But there's just so many horrible things that happen in that movie. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. Very good, but heartbreaking. Come and see everybody. Go and see yeah. it. 1985 classic. Um, Bryce, it's on the Criterion channel. There we go. Bryce Blackmore writes in and says, is there 100 of any type of food which you could consume in an hour? And if so, what is it? Rice? It's the old Mitch Hedberg joke. Yeah, rice is really good <laughs> if you're in the mood for 2,000 of something. <laughs> um, Cheetos? Che 100 Cheetos? <laughs> yeah, how many Cheetos are in a bag, do you think, Leo? Seven. 100, exactly. Hang on, let's see. Maybe people will figure this out. How many Cheetos in one bag? It's like an average bag of Cheetos. Oh, okay. Jeff, I'm guess. How many Cheetos are in one bag of Cheetos? <laughs> are we talking puffy ones? I think just basic, original Cheeto. Human Cheeto. Crunchy. Crunchy Cheeto. 92. You fool! Uh, <laughs> the bag says that it it's 189, but apparently people have investigated and it's averaging out to 237. Which, oh, that's uh, a good direction to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, way to go. Thanks, Chester. I really liked that Jeffum looked down when you asked that question, like he was secretly looking at a Cheetos bag <laughs> next to his yeah. <laughs> Lined with Cheetos. <laughs> he never shows his fingertips. He's just eyeballing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Starkiller writes in and says, Hey, MinMaxers, in honor of your 100th episode, I've put together a little bit of MinMax YouTube trivia. All right, Jeff, um, this is for you. What is the longest video on MinMax? Not counting live stream archives. Last of Us Deepest Dive Part 2. Okay. Final Fantasy Remake. 7 Remake Episode 1. 
I'm sorry, it's Final Fantasy VII Remake Chapter 15 through the ending, at cl- clocking in at 4 hours, 14 minutes, closely followed by the Min-Max Awards from 2020, which was 4 hours and 4 minutes. You guys had a Lord of the Rings Return of the King length episode? <laughs> we also did full commentary tracks for all of the Lord of the Rings movie as a Patreon exclusive, but I guess that doesn't count either. Um, also, JV, I'm sorry, Jeff, um, pop quiz, what was the first Great Goatee Hunt? Min Max ever did. Oh. Um, was it Luigi's Mansion? Ooh, good guess. No, uh, it was Dreams, apparently. So look at that. Oh. Still, our, still the goatee in our hearts. Wow. Um, let's see. Fred DeNovo says, Congratulations on 100 episodes. Do you ever think about how Hansen's local paper effectively created your job title, Computer Loving Cohort? Yeah, that is weird. That, that was weird. weird. <laughs> that was weird how that happens, but that's nice. Um, it's a great phrase. It's, hey, it's and I, find, I finally Beautiful. have a computer now, so <gasps> you finally... it all comes full circle. Hang on, though, dude. You love that computer? I like it so okay. far. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Oh, we'll see where it goes. Oh, boy. Travel in paradise. Jarrell Pryor says, what's up, folks? It was great last week to hear such positive thoughts about Surreal. It's always uplifting to hear such positivity from peers. So here's an excuse to give your cohorts their flowers. Episode 100 sounds like the perfect occasion. What's something you really appreciate about one of the other people on the show today? To keep this question brief, maybe y'all can go clockwise based on positions on the show screen. Um, okay, so... I'll, I'll, I guess you guys can't see this. So let's see. Clockwise would be me complimenting JV. I think JV is a testament to... This makes it seem like you were um, murdering people, but being militant about making big changes in your life and sticking with it. Uh, I think you've had a couple of very important turns in your life that have made you objectively a better person and very few people are like, I see the path. I'm going to get my ass kicked until I go stay down this path. And it seems like it's worked out for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's nice. That's very pleasant to hear. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jeffum, you are always a great editor. When we work together at Game Informer, I always really appreciated your edits. And you are very dryly funny. Like at the office, you were funny in a way that no one else was, I feel like. Um, and usually whenever you'd make a joke or like uh, have an insight, it usually make me laugh more than anyone else. Uh, even though, you know, they were more of a from time to time thing as opposed to like, oh, here's a Jeff um, sort of like nugget of wisdom or, or uh, joke every day. So what I'm saying is you are very wise and funny and I really enjoyed working with you. Well, thank you, JB. And I miss you. And that's oh, very sweet of you. All right. I, I'm assuming it's Leo. It is Leo. I, yep. I don't I can't <laughs> see anything. Leo is one of the well, no, not one. I'm sorry. I shouldn't hedge that. Leo was always the funniest person at GI, and you make me jealous how funny you are and how organically it just flows out of you. And I also think you have grown a lot. You you can make very serious videos, which are just mind-blowing. I still think of the uh, Watchmen-inspired one as one of the greatest artworks of all time. Uh, and it, it just seems like you are a river that also runs deep, Leo. Oh. And you you seem to have thought a lot about where you are in life and how you're growing and your own mental health and all of those good things that I think a lot of people don't give enough thought to. Yeah, that's very sweet. Your rebuttal, Leah? 
<laughs> Defend yourself, Leo. Show yeah. how awful you are, I guess. No, by the way, a bad deed right now. <laughs> <laughs> the name of that video, if you want to check it out, it's on Leo Vader's YouTube channel, and it's when you slip on a banana peel. Yes, I it's actually really just good. changed the thumbnail for that today. Oh, to just a, a still from Now You See Me? Yeah. <laughs> Smart, <They dude>. broke. <laughs> Love it. All right, Leo, uh, hit me, dude. Ben Hansen, wow, where do I begin? I was just saying on stream the other day that you're God's perfect podcast host. Like, getting to know you over the years and all of your interests and skills... And capacity for uh, note taking and being productive and your, again, your interests. It's like it all comes together to do the act of hosting a podcast. It truly is like feels like what you were born to do. And that's not just the way you can talk about topics. It's also in our meetings, you're always like very concerned about making sure everybody is talking enough. Like it's not just the you show and like your capacity for empathy like that, I think, is what. Uh, makes you a great podcast host. That's very sweet. And I think it's great about you. As can be seen by the Writers Republic segment. So thank you so much. <laughs> <That's very laughs> much your opus. Uh, all right. Very sweet. Thank you, Jarrell. Um, question of the week, JV. What do you like? There are a lot of really good ones this week. I was really blown away. Yeah. It's so small, but uh, I really like the book game completion <laughs> Ooh, ratio. One. I was thinking that too. Like, yeah. It's like just such a brain teaser. It's like yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Uh, All right. I, I like that, too. That, that's what I go with. I yeah, think. a lot of great ones. But I think I'm always a fan of those questions. It just seems like a basic thing that makes all of us go, hmm, yeah, what is up with that? Uh, so, Zach Ink, congratulations. You win the vinyl soundtrack or the vinyl track uh, that's in Kentucky Route Zero from our friends at I Am 8-Bit. So, thank you so much, Zach oh, Ink. And you can win something on your own if you want to submit a question for us to answer on the show next week by supporting us over on Patreon at any tier. We'd appreciate it. Uh, now it's time for something we like to call Get a Load of This. All right. Jeffum, you need to be first. You need to be last with that community one. So, hit us first, sir. Uh, get a load of this. I stole this one from the get a load of this channel <laughs> because I didn't have one. Love going. it. Um, but L train did not disappoint. He, he, uh, posted out a tweet that was from a video, um, of a Henrico, Virginia school board meeting, which I, I think they were holding a public meeting where people could come in and talk about, I, I'm assuming it was about mask mandates because there was a very irate woman at the beginning of the clip. But um, then they went to other people who had submitted their names as wanting to speak uh, at this about this topic. Um, and the but the the guy who was running the meeting kind of went through a list of names, but those people weren't there. And I don't think he could figure it out because as it went on and on, it became apparent to the viewers, at least, that this was, as the tweet says, some Bart Simpson. <laughs> um, and it was all basically made up names. And it. He couldn't have played it better even if he was in on it because it was a lot of, okay, uh, let's hear from Eileen Dover. Is there an Eileen Dover out there? Uh, and, and it's about 90 seconds of these names that he just did not realize. Uh, and they did a very good job with the names, if I do say. Them. Oh, okay. They, they sound like real names. None of, no, like, Ivana Tinkle or anything like that. Oh, it's that's good. That's some good. Quality, some quality pranking going on. There's links in the description if you want to check it out, whoever you're watching or listening to this episode. Um, let's see. Hey, get a load of this, everybody. Um, there's this YouTube video that I stumbled across. seems to be uh, popular, and it's called Dubai is a Parody of the 21st Century. 
just breaking down everything that's wrong uh, with the city and how it was built and everything. Uh, but one of the interesting facts in there is the Burj Khalifa, we all know and love from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, the tallest building in the world. Apparently, it's not hooked up to a sewage line. So every day, trucks have to haul the poop out of the Burj Khalifa. And apparently, the trucks are like backed up, I guess no pun intended, and sometimes these trucks have to wait 24 hours because there's such a backlog as they're trying to just haul all of the poo-poo and pee-pee out of the Burj Khalifa because it was such, it was in, it was built in such a rush that they didn't connect it to the sewage line. So, fun, fun facts for everybody. Uh, JV, you got one, dude? Yeah. So this was a tweet I saw the other day and it was just super fascinating because it sort of like tapped into something when I was younger and maybe it's just every person thing and I'm super curious to hear about it. Um, it, The tweet says, how are things going in Austin, you may ask? And it's a screenshot of a subreddit of an Austin, Texas focused subreddit that asks the question where to scream in Austin. And the post says, weird question, I know, but me and my friend had a rough week and we want to go somewhere and run really fast screaming. (laughs) Anyone know any areas where there's minimal car traffic, not many houses, and where we would be less likely to get kidnapped? Um, So it's just one of those fascinating things of like when I was a kid, I remember feeling super frustrated. And I say kid all the way to like teenager and stuff of like, or, or I guess even like college to run somewhere and like scream my feelings out to like some vast field or something where I didn't really want to interact with people. I just wanted to like express my frustration and like solitary confinement, but not be in like a house or something. Like, is that something you guys have felt? Like, is that like a universal thing or is that just a weirdo thing? I want to do it now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You I don't know. Do I think like growing up like in the country, it's like you have that opportunity whenever you want and no one can hear you. In the country, no one can hear you scream, JV. So I don't think I ever had that impulse. <laughs> That's the plot of many horror films. Yeah, yes. yeah. I see what the appeal I, for sure. I get it. I get it. Uh, I just like the idea that in Austin, they have someone has to ask that in Austin. Right, you know, So right. they won't be kidnapped, I guess. <laughs> that is great. But unfortunately, you didn't say get a load of this at the beginning. It doesn't so I lose. So yeah, now I want to go scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Leo, you want to show them how it's done? Hey, get a load of this, guys. Hell yeah. Unless it's been a get a load of this before. Uh, kid picks. What that? Something from my childhood. Maybe not everyone's childhood. Little art making app on the computer. Iconic sound effects. When you delete oh. stuff, you know, you get the little guy screaming at you. <laughs> oh, like the Austin. You get the, the little garbage truck tool to pick up a piece of the image and move it around just weird little things for kids to have fun drawing and making art on their computer and somebody just remade it perfectly on the internet for free and it's called kidpix.app and you go there and you can just noodle around with all those nostalgic sound effects and save the image oh, Leah, awesome. did you ever play the spider-man ripoff they did of that they had a licensed ripoff of kid picks that had the animated spider-man cartoon oh wow here let me let me find it uh Keep talking. I'll find it. <laughs> it sounds great. We can put the link in there too, uh, in the description. But that sounds fun. So it's basically just like a funky MS Paint thing from back in the day. Yeah, essentially. And okay. you, there's no reason for you to look at this if you're not nostalgic for kid picks. <laughs> it sounds great. But as someone who was, got a lot of value out of it. Yeah. Terrible name though. Pretty bad. You can all agree. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Spider-Man Cartoon Maker. 
What's the name of it, Leo? It oh, looks like. weird. never played it. It's literally just that. Hold on. Yeah, I, I'm linking it to you right now in our Discord thingy. But yeah, it's just that. Like that that's all really it fun. is. Cool. Yeah, uh, Jeff, did you pull one from the community? Yeah, get all of this. Oh. I did the immature one earlier so I can seem sophisticated at the end. Love it. Um, but Fenrir uh, posted into the Get All of This channel and said, apropos of nothing, this thread from Obsidian director Carrie Patel about the impact of voluntary crunch on other members of a game development team is a sobering read. Uh, and she has a whole thread kind of explaining why that, why the argument of like enthusiastic game designers who want to volunteer to do crunch is still a bad thing and that it shouldn't be uh, supported by developers, which actually, uh, uh, despite what Fenrir said, is apropos of something that was making the rounds um, recently. Well, yeah, it was interesting. It was uh, Ben Reeves' interview with the Naughty Dog co-presidents where they asked about Reeves just, I don't know, maybe it was an email interview, I don't know, but it seemed pretty light, but he just asked about thoughts on crunch and evolution there and Evan Wells, the co-president of Naughty Dog, had the interesting take of just saying, yeah, back in back when I was young, I used to work really hard. And so then I saw like Jason Schreier in particular on Twitter, and a lot of people kind of gravitating towards the idea of like, working hard doesn't equal crunch. You sh- should stop associating that. Um, but yeah, I, I read what Carrie there from Obsidian wrote. JV, were you on the... Did you visit Obsidian with me? Did you meet Carrie? Okay. No, I was not on that uh, that trip. Okay. I didn't really do anything with the Outer Worlds until I started working with them on the Outer Worlds. Maybe that's why I'm associating that with you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but she was uh, very smart, so it's it cool to have that uh, that insight Gary from her. Gary is very thread. smart, yes. Um, all right. That's it for this episode of the MinMax Show. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Thanks for listening to us for 100 episodes. If you've been here the whole time, you know what you got to do. Leave that comment on YouTube that says... I'm keeping it 100. That's kind of our little cutesy thing. Um, but thank you, everybody in the MinMax community. Uh, we closed out our big charity drive, uh, our Crossfade charity drive for Hopewell Music, the community music school in North Minneapolis. We ended up raising uh, $12,500 for Hopewell Music. So thank you so much. Wow. Everybody. Who, nice I mean, that's the stunning thing, JV, is just out of the blue, you can say, hey, everybody, there's this struggling community music school in North Minneapolis. Does, does anybody want to help give kids some free music lessons? And then we can raise over $12,000 for these kids. And like the amazing thing is it's very direct, right? So this resulted in over 15 kids having full scholarships to the school and free instrument rentals. So genuinely life-changing for these kids. So thanks to everybody who supported that. We appreciate it. Um, Let's see. We also have MinMax Council, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast. Um, On the last episode, it was Jeff and I taking calls from the community. We talk about searching for a new cohort, what that process is like. Jeff talks about fatherhood, old tabletop games. And 100 quizzes. And then every other person called in with trivia. So it's if you like trivia, it's basically <laughs> Jeff and I competing in trivia throughout the entire thing. So if you want more podcasts from us, you can always listen to the MinMax Council by supporting us over on Patreon. If you do that, you also get access to Serial Vasquez's huge talk about No More Heroes 3. So we'd appreciate the support. Uh, JV, what would you like to plug, sir? Uh, oh, man, that is a great question. Uh, I guess post-horn PR. It's a pro bono PR thing that me and a bunch of other volunteers run to help folks without a media budget get news about their game out there. I think we do a pretty cool thing, and we do a lot with not that many resources. So, yeah, 
So check hey, out check out the client check out uh, the games that our folks that we're helping out with. Um, so that's stuff like Scald. Hold on. Sorry, I totally blanked. You no, that's then. fine. That's fine. Do you have like a link just to the site? Yeah, can... I can. Yeah, I can. I can get you the the link. But we help like we've got like fifteen clients now that we're just helping out. But it's like Call of Songar, which is this like Daggerfall spiritual successor that oh, looks wow. really, really cool. Um, we've got a Shiva story, which obviously I'm really enthusiastic about since we own Shiva's. Uh, Scald against the Black Priori is a letter, love letter to old school RPGs. It's super hard and crushing. It has very cool retro graphics, but we support a bunch of people. Uh, so, and I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the work we do. So I guess that's what like I'd, I'd support or I'd, you know, give a shout out to. Yeah. Yeah. Check out the links in the description below. Leo, you got anything you want to plug, man? Oh, um, I just started my community discord for my YouTube channel. Hmm. Interesting. Just go to twitter.com slash Leo Vader. It's the pinned tweet. Come join. It's free. There we go. Cool. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening, spreading the word about MinMax. We appreciate it. JV, thank you for being here, sir. Yeah, no, thank you. I was super happy to be here for the 100th episode. That's rad. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, and thanks everybody that supports us at that $50 tier. The thank you crew. Their names go a little something like this. Fatal X Blade, the YouTube channel, the State of the Scene podcast, Joshua Busey, Clemens Zobel, I Am 8-Bit, Zachary Pleggy, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Yurkowitz, Andrew Valla, Beaten O'Brien, Best of the Rest podcast, Juar Hello, Mirko Rico Torreno, Call Me By Your Game podcast, Mark Seliga, John Higby, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Clint Farley, Drew Warrenis, Steve Bamdad, Starkiller, Logan Krauss, Purebred number six chris spider dance slick nick spiral in your eyes prism your legata and dan valone thanks so much everybody be good have fun let's go right, bye everyone <laughs>